Hey guys, welcome to Content Candy's new, new show. It's kind of an old show. It's uh, Cinema Bias with myself, Video Drew, and Alex Mack. Please enjoy. Check us out wherever you can find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, what have you. Like and rate and leave a review. That's like a thing you can do on podcasts. And make sure to also check out patreon.com backslash video drew to find out ways that you can support this channel, which is growing. Okay, end of thing. It's showtime. It's showtime. It's showtime. It's showtime. It's showtime. Are we already live? Hi. Hi. Hi, guys. Welcome to the latest episode of Cinema Bias. It's your new favorite show. I'm one of your co-hosts, Video Drew. Uh, Whenever you dance, I get very worried that that means my screen has frozen. But this is our other co-host. I'd say no, no frozen screens or over anything over here. I'm just like dancing because I can, you know. That's that's how I dance when I sexy dance, you know. Sexy, sexy. So that's uh, if you can't tell because she's sexy dancing. That's our other co-host, Alex Mack. Together what up? We, create, we create Cinema Bias. It is a show where we force each other to watch, and you guys along with us, you force us to get outside of our comfort zone in films and make us sort of, uh, sort of directly or indirectly uh, face our subconscious biases that we have against certain kinds of films and make us watch things that are in our blind spots. Um, this week is something uh, that I hold near and dear to my heart that Alex, I'm assuming, really, 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 really hated. Uh, but before we get into that, guys, uh, if you have any uh, donations or suggestions or tips, please send them to streamlabs.com backslash video drew, because if you do it, well, I'll be able to add it into the stream and I'll be like, and then the whole little thing will go on. Remember that thing? That will work. That's how we're figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Drew looks rested, says Vernon. I am rested. Thank, by the way, thank you guys uh, for, for caring. I was very sick the past couple days, but now I'm back better than ever. So we are going into this week. Whoa. Oh, oh, I hear like a weird noise on my end. Oh, I that look at yeah. this, like do, do the vacuum or something upstairs. I can let him know. What? Hey, hold, hold the phone. Hold the phone. Yeah, no problem. I'll bring, her off. I'll bring her off for a second and just, uh, I'll just vamp. So, guys, <laughs> this will be like the making up for the time we did Who Framed Roger Rabbit and I just disappeared for 20 minutes. Uh, we're going to be doing Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which is a film that I love a lot. It's by Tim Burton. We're going to see how Alex felt about it. My guess is not great. Uh, we, she already, I already know she found something creepy, but hey, hey. So, real quick, why don't we get started on this? Which is, Alex, what is your what is your bias against Pee Wee's uh, <laughs> Pee Wee as a person, and also uh, the 1985 film Pee Wee's Big Adventure? It's kind of funny because um, diving into this movie, my mom actually came over to drop up some apricot jam uh, while I was in the middle of watching this movie. And I mentioned what uh, movie I was watching for the first time. And she's like, oh, uh, and, and she's like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I was like, really? You hate it? And I was like, and she was like, yeah, that movie's the worst. I can't stay in that movie. And I was like, oh. 
we have like, and she's like, yeah, it's weird. It's gross. Peewee is such a weird character. I, I, he's such, it's so gross. The visuals. And I was like, that's all the reasons I hate it. Did I just absorb this bias from my mom? Well, it's funny you say that. Because, it's really <laughs> funny you say that because, uh, again, I came up from a background where I thought like we really, really loved, uh, we really loved Pee Wee growing up in my in my household. However, I was talking to my mom today. Uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, I was talking to my mom today, and she was all like, "I hate Pee Wee." She's like, "What are you talking about? That guy's gross. He's creepy. Exactly. creepy. Uh, yeah. Like he's like a, a child molester or something." And I was like, "No, no. Let's get it right. Pee Wee was not a child molester, or, or the the actor neither. Problem. Blah blah." It's a whole separate thing. But basically the creepiness of Paul Rubens is not the kind of creepiness that's, uh, it's the same kind of creepiness of like a Fred Willard uh, where they got caught doing something kind of gross in a in a location that was meant to for that specific thing. So it's not like a Harvey Weinstein situation, but I get how just uncanny valley people find Pee Wee. People like really just don't like Pee Wee Herman. I don't think it's uh, just, Pee Wee Herman, I think it's this world that Tim Burton created. Uh, there's actually a lot of little moments that actually was surprised at how much I enjoyed. You know, the setting I thought was really cool. It almost feels like an alternate reality, very obviously very Burnesque. It felt like um, like a very dream world, which I mm -hmm. appreciated. Um, and there was a handful of individual scenes that I've uh, that I have seen going before prior to going into this. And so thinking of thinking of those scenes that I've seen grown up, I was like, well, based off those scenes alone, I am absolutely going to hate this movie. This movie is going to be the worst movie ever, right. whatever it might be. And don't get me wrong. I don't like it. But at the same time, I don't hate it as much as I thought. Well, let's so, before, well before I get into the specific scenes and thing, maybe because I think this one's actually harder than I thought it would be. We're going to give you a minute to describe the plot of Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah. Okay. This might be very easy. That might be very easy or very, very hard. But let's put a minute on the clock and let's ready, set, ha <laughs> ha, go. <laughs> okay, so it's about this uh, 80 year old child, man person. Uh, he loses his bike while his very precious bike that is very, a lot of people are very jealous of in a, some kind of random Tim Burnesque town, essentially. And it's, it's all of his adventures and trying to find it. So he ends up, uh, he goes to a psychic that gives him like a psychic that gives him, he's like, Alamo, it's an Alamo. And he's like, Texas, right? So he tries hitchhiking over to Texas. 30 seconds. He, he ends up getting picked up by a hitchhiker. He goes to, to his dinosaur park where he meets a cool waitress who's obsessed with Paris. Um, then he ends up uh, somehow getting involved. Uh, end up, he ends up uh, end up going over to Hollywood where he sees a bike. He ends up getting the bike where they're inspired by his story of his uh, his main goal to achieve it. And awesome. a lot of people end up being inspired story. They make it into a movie. Ends up it, the bike ends returned to him by the very end of the movie. Oh, good, pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good, man. Wait, let's go back for a second, though. Sorry that my sound cue is definitely Pennywise's music cue uh, uh, when my timer's up. So let's go back. What did you say he was? He was an 80-year-old man-child? What do you mean? 80-year-old man-child, yes. 80? Like, 8-0? Yeah. Where'd you get that from? I don't know. I just whipped out a number. Eight, he, there's like, there's, uh, aspects of him is very old fashioned. Like the way he dresses yes. is very old fashioned. Um, but there's like a slight edge to it. There's like a childlike innocence to it. Like his, yeah. his, his pants is on too, his too short. His, uh, his bow tie is on perfectly straight, but it's too small. It seems like it would be a tie that a child would wear. Yeah. Um, things, things like that. So his, uh, his relationship to women is very interesting. He like has crushes. Like he's, he's almost has like a 12 year old boy's relationship to women. 
and Mark, with yeah. our children and adults in general. So, I mean, based off that, there it, it almost feels like there's a. Um, I wasn't sure if it's like there's like this. Uh, he might be like this just town understanding of mm -hmm. his situation where if he's like, um, um, my first thought was like, oh, is he like on the spectrum potentially or something along those lines where he's clearly, cause he's clearly smart, but he does have that childlike innocence as far as like having understanding, like establishing connections um, yeah. where he understands some things, but not all things. Um, mm -hmm and just the way he's able to kind of weasel himself out of things but also he isn't obviously he is very intelligent not only with how he's able to really kind of weasel his way out of things the word weasel i'm interested weasel, I gonna, stand by it. he's a weasely guy I, i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna we're gonna go into this the psychology um, of this weasel <laughs> exactly uh but also the way he uh i mean like everything like all, he does a lot of these uh, the way he prepares his breakfast is with this like crazy breakfast making contraption where there's a doll thing flipping pancakes and cr the way he cracks an egg, they use toys and everything. The way he feeds his dog is all through that. And he is like, Oh, mixed breakfast kind of thing. And mm -hmm. it's, everything's very childlike, but at the same time, there is a very conscious, uh, intelligence, obviously the way he goes about his patterns throughout the day. Sorry. Oops. Sorry. That was not supposed yes. to be there. Uh, I I 100% agree with you. I think the the thing about Pee Wee that that we should remember is this is before uh, this was before Pee Wee's uh, TV show. So this was like before anybody knew who T Pee Wee was. This was this was just the beginning of what we'd go on to learn as the sort of uh, the experiment. Sorry, it's bringing it down again. Uh, as the as the sort of performance art experience of Pee Wee Herman. Um, who again? We, this was like also uh, the directorial feature-length debut of Tim Burton, and you can see a lot of Tim Burton stuff. You can see in a 19, lot. Of, 19, yeah. 1985. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that we're seeing in like the Tim Burton world. This movie is not supposed to be scary, but it has some very very scary imagery in it that we'll later learn is like you know that we now identify as like Burton-esque tropes. There's iconic like, the yeah. clowns, but I also think that there's a uh, the sense here of like why Burton chose this movie. So like yes. to give it a little context, why this character, why this movie for uh, for Burton's debut? And it's sort of this idea that Paul Rubens was a performance artist um, who who had this character Pee Wee that he had done on like some variety shows, uh, and that at the time Burton was working for Disney. He had done Fox and the Hound. He had been part of Disney's animation team, um, and he left uh, he left Disney after. Frank and Weenie, like, which was then a short, um, and he was looking for a full length trip thing to do. Um, he liked, he liked Pee Wee Herman. He liked the character. He got involved with Phil Hartman, who co-wrote the script. Mm -hmm. uh, which makes a nice little cameo at the very end. At the end, uh, you know, it's 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 like a pretty like you, you can see if you're from LA, you'll notice every single location thing in this. Uh, this is his. Collab first directorial debut, so it's also his first directorial uh, collaboration, uh, full-length collaboration with Danny Elfman. But you're gonna hear like, I mean, it is the most Danny Elfman-y soundtrack. Um, you know? But at the same time, you know, it's incredible. This is like the first film that Danny Elfman he actually composed a score for, and listening to it, it I can almost sense that, uh, especially comparing to a lot of his later works. And I was doing research on like the music, and Danny, this is a 
he it was it he the first time he actually did not only just move because he worked on like small projects and stuff before but he never worked with like an orchestra before and, and he did for the first time for this movie and he was like he said it was one of the best experiences of the of his life being able to hear his music you know played by an orchestra for the first time i amazing. almost wish i almost wish that we could like put up any of this music but like we can't because yeah i know, you know because we'll get in so much trouble this isn't uh this isn't karaoke but uh real quick who did the who does the song tequila that plays so prominently uh i had it written down at one point but like it's somebody from the 1950s like really old uh song it's like literally the, one of the oldest i feel like one of the older songs it's by the champs the champs i was about to say the platters but no it's the champs it's always uh, the noun it's did you did you notice uh there were so many great cameos in this film did you notice uh the band that was uh in the back lot at the end that was on top of the car putting on a music video it was twisted sister oh, twisted still sister what's a place that played elvira uh El sorry is it elvira um, with the blonde, with boobs and the dark hair and everything. Um, I had dark hair. She, yeah, she, uh, she was. I know she was like the you know, mistress of evil kind of thing. She, uh, I know she was like a, the. She's called the biker mama on IMDb. Mm -hmm. um, I just remember seeing her and I was like, "You look familiar. Your your smile looks familiar." Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, she has that. She has that smile, which is incredibly iconic. You know, not just. Uh, but it's funny enough because, like, you know, like, this is such a great scene. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, what I was gonna say is this is also like a a movie that it stands so alone. It's so like it's so strange and it's so like how is this like? Of course, it's the first Burton film. Like we think of Burton now, and we're thinking of like Dumbo and you know Charlie and Char or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and all this stuff. But it's like there she is. That Elvira? I'm not sure if that's yeah. Elvira. Look her up. Okay. Uh, Cassandra Peterson. Yeah, she's the one that says I, I yeah, okay. Man, I just didn't recognize her. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, like, there's so many scenes in this that you're like, what kind of movie is this? Is this a kid's movie? Is this, like, for adults? Like, you know, there's, like you said, there is some kind of creepiness to Pee Wee that is sort of a man-child thing. Uh, mm -hmm. The funniest thing that I think is is that it's a retelling of the uh, the bicycle thief. Well, was that, uh, was yeah. It was uh, not Bertolucci. It's not Godard. It's uh, Truffaut. Is that who mm -hmm. did the who did Bicycle Thief? So it's a retelling yeah. of a of a famous European movie. Um, it's if you're not familiar with that story, it's very it's a super old classic Italian movie that was made in like the sixties, like the fifties or sixties, I want to say. But it's been remade for in a bunch of different versions. Yeah, it's the idea of like, what kind of movie is this? Would it fall under coming of age? I was debating this with somebody earlier. Was this a coming of age movie? Because it sort of is. I mean, it's just a weird age. Or is this a, you know, is this a road trip movie? Is this sort of a, you know, a recovery of lost item? Is it a mystery? Is it a com? Like, there's there's so many weird things that find that I find Pee Wee's Big Adventure to be sort of uh, genreless. Like, it, it falls outside a typical genre film, or like, it's really hard to pin down for what it is mm -hmm. because it's just so weird. And Warner Brothers thought this movie was so weird. They decided like it was so weird that they were gonna like roll this film out like regionally. So instead of having a big marketing push about like Pee Wee's Big Adventure coming out and like to theaters everywhere, they were like, mm, like let's just roll it out to like little cities, almost do like test screenings, and then uh, it proved popular with a limited audience, and then cranked up the publicity, made it a bigger thing, and it got forty-one million at the box office, which is pretty cool because it was made for like seven million. So that's like a huge, that was a huge win, and allowed Burton to go on to make like you know Batman, 
you know. Uh, and, I'm sorry. Uh, I just realized that I'm frozen in the screen. Oh, oh, you are? I've been frozen for like the last like minute and a half. Apparently. Oh, no. And I'm just Wait, noticing okay. it. I, I, oh, because I have the okay, other you're page. You're back. You're back. Oh. Oh, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. You're back. Oh, you're wait. Back. Am I, I moved a little bit. I moved a little bit. Guys, tell me, have I moved in the other screen in the past like two minutes? Can you tell me? Can you tell that I'm doing the robot? Sean, trying to the back end. Sean, can you put in the private chat, like, what's going on? Can you write it down so we can? Sean's like giving us frantic hand gestures, but I don't know what that means. Oh, um, there it is. It just went. I think yes. Let's see. Okay. Oh, sorry. sweet baby Jesus. Sorry. Guys. Somebody was saying. Sorry. Let's see. Uh, uh, well, well, let's say going back a little bit. What was your okay? So, did you grow up loving this movie? I know you said you, your mom didn't love it, but I mean, like, did you grow up loving Tim Burton in general, or is it this movie in particular that really grabbed you because it hit you at a certain time or anything? Don't love this movie. Uh, I, I, I think that's would like be something that, uh, is, is weird about me. I was not, you know, what I really loved is Pee Wee's Big Top Adventure, the sequel. I really loved, uh, oh. it's one of those weird movies where like, I really love the sequel to this film and not so much the original. I feel like I found the original too dark and too weird growing up. Like I, there was nothing about it that seemed very like, uh, appealing as a kid, like to a kid. Um, I remember definitely certain parts of it, uh, Alex is moving. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that I loved this movie. I just think that if you're going to be talking about, you know, some seminal movies that you have to have seen to have a really good film education, Pee-wee's, uh, yeah, Pee-wee's, uh, big adventure needs to be one of them. The bike. I mean, like everything about it, it has so many iconic lines. There's so many cameos. There's so many things that we now reference without realizing we're referencing this movie. Like, uh, the Alamo, like there's no basement at the Alamo or even Arvois Simone, which is the name of a pretty big band that maybe it's just a big deal to me because uh, it's the name of a band that David Lynch uses. But uh, there's, it's just it's just really great. And I think there's uh, a ton here. Guys, uh, we do have a special guest, though, who I do believe this person's favorite movie is. Is. Uh, favorite movie? That's a bit much. No, I can't be his favorite movie. Because we already had James Bond be his favorite movie. We do have back on as a guest, uh, Tim Franco. Oh man, look at that! Uh, one, look at that gorgeous Holmes. kitchen. So just take a minute uh, to like applaud that kitchen. Yeah, no, that's an amazing so kitchen. Uh, my my iMac is set up in here, and I was like, I don't feel like doing this on my MacBook. So I'm <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I'm trying to see if this looks better. Or this looks better. Nope. Okay, yes, this, is, this is my favorite movie. Really? Uh, of all time? Of all time. Huh. Explain. <laughs> Explain. Like, give us some context. What, what Just because, like, no, I'm, clearly, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's, like, the best movie of all time. So that's, yeah. that's completely different lists. But it, when I think of, like, a movie that I could just throw on at any time, a movie that I've loved since, like, it's probably the first movie I remember, like, loving as a kid mm -hmm. and, and continuing to love. Um, it's the movie that I know back and forward more than any other movie. I could probably literally quote the script because I know the movie so well. Mm -hmm. Um, I love, I love the soundtrack. I think it's got a great soundtrack by Danny Elfman, you know, it's early, early Danny Elfman. It's a really cool kind of weird, quirky soundtrack. Like all of his stuff is, but like, just like fits this movie. But it's especially this. Let's be oh honest. yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, 
I don't know. It's just got so many like just iconic things. I mean, I, I love I love the large large marge has always been a thing. Um, yeah. The dinosaur the dinosaur clown dream. Uh, the 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 Kebazone dinosaurs growing up. Every time I would drive to California, I would either think of Pee Wee's Big Adventure or the movie The Wizard, which is the other movie that features those. Oh, dinosaurs. with the glove, the camera yeah. glove. Yeah, so there's the two movies growing up that were that were you know associated with the El Cabazone dinosaurs, which is now a creationist museum. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, I do want to ask Alex before we we jump into some other parts of this. What did you think of the large march scene? Um, I've seen that scene. I've seen that scene individually, specifically before. Um, it has been a few years, but I knew it was coming. The moment I saw it, where he was like, "Oh, he's being picked up by a a, a trucker," I knew it was large march. <laughs> um, it it did. I, I remember seeing it when I remember seeing it for the first time, it never really scared me like the surprise factor. It just made me uncomfortable. It just like made like um, Pee Wee Herman as a character makes me uncomfortable. Like okay. he's not a character I actively want to be around. He's not, a, it's, uh, it's not a character that just the, his voice, um, the, it, it, it just, <laughs> It, it, no, it just like makes me physically uncomfortable. But that, I mean, like in the like, in the real world, it's a very different conversation. But in this world, where it's there's that there's like a weird fantasy element and everything, it, it makes me more uncomfortable, and I don't like it. So, like, <laughs> it just, even within, so even within yeah. this world, even within this world where he's uh, sort of innocuous or banal, or you know, he's he's just part of this weird world that already exists. You still yeah, find him un, unlikable. Or the uh, the large Marge sequence. What's interesting about that is that whole that whole se uh, scene was designed by the Kyoto's brothers, who went oh. on who went on to direct Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Great movie. Um, and Great movie. and they and they've done a lot of the effects for like Critters. Um, they did they did some a lot of the like claymation effects in Elf. Um, oh. They did the if you've seen this movie. It's a bad movie, but I, I have a hot wait, wait, wait. They've done the creative, they did the things for Elf. Did they do any Nightmare? No, that was Henry Selleck, but did they do yeah. any of the animation for Corpse Bride or, or any of the, I, what's I the name? Like or anything? I don't, I don't believe so. The only other thing I remember them doing that's more recent was, it's a bad, it's a bad movie, but I, I, I like it because it's so, so bad, but they it's did fun. the, uh, they did the mouse, like all the mouse dioramas from Dinner, Dinner with Schmucks. With Paul oh, no. <laughs> oh, that, oh no, Wait. these are all like movies I hate. <laughs> Wait, I'm pretty sure the guy no. who directed Pee-wee's Big Top also directed Dinner with Schmucks, unless I'm crazy. Oh, you know, you're probably right. I and I I jumped in as you were talking about that. I also really love Big Top Pee-wee as well. So I mean Big Top Pee-wee, I'd like a lot because it's the idea of Big Top Pee-wee. Oop, look, we got a super chat coming in, so I don't want anyone screening to freeze, but don't freak out, guys. Vernon, donate five dollars. Thank you for your donation, Vernon. Um, Vernon's pretty soon the dude, we're gonna be able to. Yeah, Vernon's, Vernon's the, dude. the man. I love Vernon. Vernon. We're pretty soon we're gonna be able to. Uh, we're gonna be able to incorporate uh, Streamlabs. I've I've heard very uh, easily. Pretty soon, so that's gonna be awesome. That way we won't need to bring up the second screen. But uh, what I love about um, uh, the big top specifically is it gives you the idea that Pee Wee is like not part of that world like that mm -hmm. town in that movie the town hates peewee oh yeah like he's like the outsider and that feels a lot more correct for maybe what this character should be he should be yeah. like an outsider he shouldn't be someone who's like beloved by this whole neighborhood except for this uh really rich like douchey kid uh 
I like I like to think that Pee Wee used all the money he made from the big studio making his life story into a movie to go buy a farm and live on a farm and, and annoy all the farm all the town people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, so this is like never ending story for me. This is like a lot of weird movies where I've, or like Terminator 2, where I've seen the sequel, maybe never seen the original. And it's, it's really weird. It's like a really, a really weird thing about it. And then when I went back and watched the original of Pee Wee and I was watching it today, I was like, I'm not sure how this movie holds up for me. It is very strange. The narrative of it should fit, like the narrative of it should fit like a, uh, not a heist movie, but it should fit like a road trip movie. And yet it feels like there's a lot of like weird starts and stops. There's a lot of him coming in contact with, with characters and it's kind of this zany madcap romp thing. But it yeah. also, the piecing of it feels very strange. Like they spend a lot of time in one place, but not the other. And like yeah. why, why he's like at the Alamo is because he's, you know, he's chasing down this psychic thing. But then how the bike ended up on a movie screen is just like sort of this other silly thing. And it's, it's both like playful, but also like it, it's a little strange. It's a little, it's a very much a directorial debut, I would say. It is very, it is very strange. I mean, the, the interesting thing too, like this movie, so when he originally was like brought, when he was really originally brought into write, like to make a movie, uh, Pee Wee that is, his original idea was to remake his favorite movie of all time, which is Pollyanna. <gasps> oh my so this, God. This, this, this originally started off as a remake of Pollyanna. Yeah, it's like a movie from like the 1960s with Haley Mills, where she's like, yeah, yeah. Pollyanna's great. His but... Favorite movie of all time? Apparently. And so he, he originally was, was brought in to write that, and he had started on it. But then when he was like walking around Warner Brothers, he noticed that everyone was like using bikes to get around. And so he changed. He changed. He changed it to being a story, kind of centralized around a bike story, and, and and like losing his bike. I do love. I do have to say that I love the Warner Brothers stuff. I do think that's yeah. really cute. Like it's it. great. And having been there like multiple times, I love like going there and like being like, yeah, this is where they did this, and this is where they did that, and it's great. That's. I, well, I have to say, but not gonna lie, that bike is so cool. I would love to have that bike. Hey guys, that'd be yeah. a great question one day. Like, what what make and model is that bike? Like that. What make and model? Or sort of like what like what year? What year and what what model <laughs> bike they, is that? Do they have a close up of that? Yes. Yeah, so, well, it's a nineteen fifty Schwinn. It's a Schwinn. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know the year or anything like that. But I think Amateur. it was. <laughs> I know it's the best Blair, bike. Like I, know it's the, I know it's the best bike in the whole world. It is the best bike in the whole world. I remember as a kid really wanting this bike. Uh, I think, yeah, this, this thing with the nun. Uh, I was watching this with a friend of mine. Uh, I guess I can say what friend it is. It's my friend, Lon Harris. Maybe you guys know him. He's the delinquent. Uh, <laughs> I just like I just like name checking the fact that he's my friend. Uh, we were watching and he thought the, like one of the funniest parts was like this little moment where Pee Wee steals the bike as the nun and he's like, oh, I need the bike for something like on set. And the director goes and like checks the notes of the script to like make sure that wasn't something that was in the script. Like this small moment where the director's like, huh? And he like looks down and he like checks with the script girl and he's like, is that something that's supposed to happen? It's like a little minor moment. Cause I'm gonna start movie, a paper out right now. Exactly, it's just like improving. Uh, I loved, I think, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, there was a, uh, it was, what I thought was kind of interesting when they, when he was like running away, he started off in that scene being the nun. So this is like where, uh, where it's a little more of a traditional, maybe a more, a little more of a conservative 
movie, maybe something with a slightly religious undertone, um, you know, but with like this asshole kid. I can't remember who is like, but it was supposed to be Corey Feldman, apparently. That, that was supposed to be that that kid, but he was uh, in the middle of filming Wait. Goonies. Wait, Corey um, Feldman as, as the as like the guy as the, that as the annoying kid in the, in the movie. Oh, so you mean like, the, the one that was played by the guy from The Wonder Years, the brother? Yes. That's, uh, yeah, but it was supposed to be uh, Corey but he couldn't because he, he was uh, just wrapping up the Goonies. Um, but anyway, but but it's kind of funny where he steals that movie, uh, sorry, when he like runs away from that scene. So it almost feels like he's he's almost like making a slight meta commentary on Hollywood studio making decisions oh, where yeah. it's like, this is the kind of movie that you guys are supposed, are supposed to see by the theaters. This is what they're making has this like... Um, this is where it's kind of like this slight religious undertone. Oh. Everyone is white and blah, James blah, blah. Brolin, it's a traditional story. James, James Brolin is oh, Hugh Herman. That's amazing. I'm not going to lie. That's most inspired casting. But later, he's like going through like a Godzilla set where it yep. feels like that's like his, where it seems like it, him going through is like saying, this is a movie you should also see instead of that one. You should go see this one. You know? Maybe I think there's a lot of different interpretations to what's yeah. going on in that in that studio uh, scene where he's he's going across the studio a lot. Apparently, there was a big issue between him and Kevin Smith, um, where because of Jane Silent Bob's uh, was Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, I guess, uh, where they're going through the studio lots at the mm -hmm. end of the movie, uh, or like during part of the movie, uh, Tim Burton was like, "Hey, you stole that from me! Like, you absolutely just stole that from Pee Wee's Big Adventure." And then yeah. Kevin Smith was like, "Oh, really? Because like." Here's this part of uh, of uh, I forget what it was. He he had Kevin Smith said that he had written a comic which had like an ending for uh, maybe Batman or wasn't Batman or another movie that he said that Tim Burton told oh, Planet of the Apes where he's like you totally stole my Planet of the Apes idea. What it really goes back to is the idea that Tim Burton and Kevin Smith were supposed to make that Superman movie together, right? With, uh, with Nicolas Cage, um, and that that project never fell through. So now I guess they're right. just just constantly bickering at each other about bad, who bad blood between them. Yeah. But I do think that's really funny that the idea of like going through a studio lot, going through these different genres, like there's the Tarzan movie, there's the, uh, you know, there's the Godzilla movie. There's like the, you know, the flying nun kind of thing that's going there's on. There's like the, the beach, like the Christmas beach movie. There's the twisted sister, like music video. Yeah. Twisted I mean, sister burn in I hell. Mean, Burn hell. It is just there's so much going on, and yeah, I do feel like it is an indictment of both like this Hollywood system, as mm -hmm. well as sort of this maybe like a love of it too, like a love of yeah. this thing because mm -hmm. he is coming from Disney. Disney was in a dark place in the '80s. Disney was not doing so great. Uh, oh yeah, they were time. almost bankrupt by the late '90s, and thank heavens, Little Mermaid happened. Mm -hmm. That was like one of their only saving graces for like a decade. Um, but, like, I do Tim was part of that bad. He was part of that bad period. Like he was part of that period of Fox and the Hound, and he was part of that animation studio that wasn't producing stuff mm -hmm. that was considered viable. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I just think it's really interesting to see both his love of movies and also him just being like it does kind of feel like an fu Disney movies or fu kids movies or like fu studio movies a little bit. It's kind of funny every time uh, in a movie they're 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 going behind, like if there's any kind of scene where there's a TV show, movie, music video, whatever it might be, and they're going they're going to like Warner Brothers Studios or whatever studio. There's always like a lot of people in like different you know like costumes, like soldiers and can can girls or like people in you know like uh, Francis Greek robes and stuff. But there's always people like women in the like 
the like the like the Las Vegas girls with the like feather hats yep. and like the, the, the dancers the and everything. I yeah. can't think of ten movies where they are in it. Oh yeah, <laughs> yet they're it's always it's in those scenes. Always. It's a Ziegfeld Follies reference. Yeah, it's the idea yeah, of the Busby yeah. Bugsby Berkeley movies of the nineteen. 40, 1940s, 50s, like those big yeah. Bugsby, Ber Bugsby Berkeley musicals where uh, they'd be coming a out of foot, the water. A, a footlight like, parade. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Uh, was it a was something on Broadway? Uh, 40, Hail Caesar. 42nd on, yeah, Hail Caesar like made reference yeah. to that too, like the, the dancing girl. It was something on Broadway, uh, Ziegfeld and Follies. It's just that kind of yeah. look, which was supposed to, again, I think make this movie look very anachronistic. Like there's a lot of this, I love the Mr. T cereal, which might be the only thing that really points you into a place in time for when this movie takes place. Mm -hmm. Because the rest of this movie could be taking place in the 1950s, it could be taking place in the 1970s, it could be taking place in the 80s. Uh, unless unless you guys feel differently. I mean, that's the yeah, only I'm trying thing. To think, I'm trying to think if there's anything else really. I think that's probably the, the main giveaway really. Well, I do think the fashion of people around him make it look very 80s to me. Yeah. Um, uh, but I feel like, you know, I mean, that, that's going to happen inevitably, you know, you know, just like mm -hmm. the makeup styles and, you know, whatever maybe. But um, I think what's also like very specific is, you know, uh, what's very Burton-esque about it is I think Burton was uh, definitely inspired by P.B. Herman, not obviously as a character, but thing is the production design as well. We look at the production design and setting and everything, it's very Burton-esque, but like 90% of the stuff at his house, um, you know, a lot of the weird stuff he kind of carries with him and all the toys and everything, that was all a majority, heavy, heavy majority of it was actually uh, Paul Rubens's own uh, collectible. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he pretty oh. much went in and he like set up the room up himself. And I feel like, and I'm really curious to think if, um, if, uh, if uh, Tim Burton looked at this kind of like, like a uh, setup that Paul Rubin created for Pee Wee, and he's like, this is my thing. I like this. I'm taking it for a lot of other movies now. <laughs> I mean, no, what's really funny is when you look at it, I, like, I, I had this similar thought where I was like, did he do the production design of this? But like, you actually notice, like, it doesn't actually. His, the parts of it that look like Burton stuff is not the parts of it that are Pee Wee's own life. Like, mm -hmm. I think like if you go to like the, the earlier shots where he's like in the magic store and stuff like that, and you see a, you see a poster in the background for, uh, who is it? It's the, it's the guy from the character from the TV show, the magnificent floating head dude. Like you can see a, like a Pee Wee character. Jomby. Uh, like yeah, you can see a Jomby poster in the background. Jomby's in the movie, the guy that plays Jomb. There's a lot of Pee Wee's Playhouse people in the movie. Yes. Right. And Pee Wee's Playhouse existed as a separate, like, alternate separate thing than the Tim Burton stuff existed. Well, yeah, he did this. He this first did this, like, this, like, HBO special that was not for children at all. Looks, yeah. To yeah, me, sorry, what, all of it looks like, looks like Pee Wee Herman uh, slash it, Burton, honestly. It does. But, like, uh, I think later on it starts looking very Burton-y. Like, the clown sequence is very Burton-y. This clown, is actually yeah, missing a lot. This is missing a lot of what I consider burden, burden, which is like it's missing the stripes. It's missing uh, a sort of uh, distorted camera view. I think like when I think of uh, the difference between this and let's say uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, or sorry, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which the the recent one, where it's sort of like what do the machines look like in that versus the machines that look like in the beginning of this movie? Like mm -hmm. it's very clear that it's not the same. Uh, you know, it's not the same kind of look to it. So cool. I just. Yeah. I, I do agree with you there as far as like, it doesn't have a lot of the strengths, but as far as like costume design, I feel like it is very Burton-esque, incredibly so. Everything is very textured. Um, yeah. Everything 
it's very thick materials. I mean, looking at his looking at his suit, it looks like it's like a thicker material. When he when Pee Wee dresses up as the the as like the feminine version of himself, she wears like a textured like like teal sweater dress thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, every yeah, that's, uh, that's true. That's true. He's an inmate, he wears like a denim suit, so everything looks mm-hmm. like it has, everything is very textured and uh, has that kind of specific. Um, feel to it, which I feel like is very consistent throughout all of well, I think, yeah, maybe he was very inspired by it. Like, again, like I think Burton had done for the most part, Burton had been doing animated stuff. Mm-hmm. So true. like, this is like, this is like Burton working within the real world, working within like, you know, him taking some shots and he might've been very inspired by what, mm-hmm. uh, what Paul Rubens was doing, what Pee Wee was doing. When I think of that opening shot of what's going on with the, the Rube Goldberg devices in terms of making breakfast and stuff, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's when I look at that and then I look at Edward Scissorhands and I look at the Rube Goldberg devices used in mm-hmm. Edward Scissorhands, it's very clear that like he was very inspired mm-hmm. by what Paul Rubens was setting up and Paul Rubens was doing in his stage show. And I don't, and I actually don't have an answer about like how much of this was Tim Burton's, uh, you know, prop mm-hmm. design, how much of it was something Paul Rubens brought over an aesthetic that Paul Rubens brought over from the Pee Wee Herman show that he'd been putting out or his, uh, you know, his special that he'd put out. Well, if it's considered like this was his debut, you know, maybe it's not as Burton-esque as some of his later movies, like such as Edward Scissorhands and, you know, Beetlejuice and all that good stuff. But I do have a question for you, Tim. Mm -hmm. This is his first movie, obviously, feature length debut. um, as a director. What if this wasn't his first film? What if hypothetically he ended up doing something like just like another like a did it like a what if he ended up doing Kramer versus Kramer? Like, can you imagine what we would have from him as a director now? <laughs> or if he just somehow ended up being the Oscar-winning director behind Ordinary People? Or here, look, I, here I think a, a good way of phrasing it is kind of something that might be very relatable is what if he had gone on to keep working with Disney Animation? What if he had gone on to Pixar? What if Tim Burton's thing had been to do Toy Story? To stay in, yeah, to stay in just the animated realm. Because like, that, that's actually tracks, is that he was on a Disney animation track that was part of like this very like, in, it was like avant-garde uh, Disney animators during this weird tumultuous time in that thing. So like, what would it look like to to think of Tim Burton movies as like, you know, Toy Story? Mm-hmm. Well, and two, I mean, this movie was a success. So because of the success of this movie, he got he, he went on to do Beetlejuice basically next. And then because of the success of Beetlejuice and Pee Wee, that's Batman. what that's what got him Batman. So then he just kind of took it just kind of took off from there, you know. He was kind of yeah. cemented cemented into that that more live live uh, action, you know, genre going forward essentially. No, but to Alex's point, if he'd have done like dramas and something, I think the closest equivalent of what it would look like would be something like uh, Big Eyes, like the one yeah. that he did. And uh, that's a great movie. Yeah, it's or, really, or Big Fish it's too. Very, it's mm-hmm. a, it, People don't really talk about it enough when they talk about when people talk about their favorite Burton movies. That's like, yeah, you know, that is like legitimately a good movie, not just because it's you know Burton and everything. But there wasn't a Oscar. Am I crazy? Sorry, uh, was it nominated? I don't remember. It may have gotten some um, some. I, some I do know I got some nominations for some Golden Globes, but I don't think he and got any um, got any kind of uh, recognition for uh, at the Oscars or. Anything, unfortunately. Look at that bike. Look at that sexy so bike. Gorgeous. It even has like a little area to like for storage. You know, it's so smart. Which I think 
Growing up, one of the funniest things about this movie, like as I got older and rewatching older versions of the movie, because now going forward, like Blu-ray, like for a while now, they've had versions of the movie that have kind of like cleaned it up and cut out a lot of the blatant, like you can tell like stuff is like showing on camera that shouldn't show on camera. So one example of that is when he's pulling the, 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 pat, the chain for locking his bike out of the storage compartment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In earlier cuts of the movie, you can see the bait, you can see the bottom of the storage compartment, and you can see the chain come, being fed through that and coming up for him to like pull it out. So it's not, it's just being fed through it. It's not even like stored in there. <laughs> I think like another thing to note about Pee Wee, I mean, about Tim Burton's iconography is that he did Warner Brothers pretty much exclusively for the first three, three or four films, right? It was like after Pee Wee, they were like, we just like, we love that you put us in the movie. So let's go yeah. ahead. So let's do. Uh, Beetlejuice. Let's do Batman. Batman then they Batman took a break Returns. off to do Edwards. No, they took a break off to do Edward Scissorhands, yeah, which yeah. is uh, right. Which Edward Scissorhands is 20th Century Fox, and then they went back for Warner Brothers. Uh, they did Ed Wood somewhere else. Mars Attacks was Warner Brothers. Like Charlie and Chocolate Factory, Corpse Ride was Warner Brothers. Dark Shadows. Like they, he really stuck with Warner Brothers. Uh, besides like Warner's Brothers and like some Walt Disney stuff, that's basically been what he's he's been about. And that's kind of interesting. Cause I can't think of like a, another director who really screams Warner brothers to me. With Warner brothers. Sorry. Oh, uh, Christopher Nolan is, I think as far as I can remember, he's almost exclusively done Warner brothers movies. Maybe. I guess when I think of like, when I think of like what Warner brothers, like the, the, the con, like what they, what they stand for when I think of like, like Animaniacs or, you know, like what Warner brothers, like uh, ethos is, I think of like Tim Burton, like Tim Burton-y kind of movies. Mm-hmm. But, but maybe I'm off by that. Maybe if anyone else has any suggestions about that, Chris Nolan, somebody else is saying Chris Nolan. Does Chris Nolan like scream Warner Brothers though? I mean, like maybe. I, he's, yeah. I think it is as far as like when it comes to edgy, not only just edgy filmmaking, um, but it's very, um, it's very existentialist. He, yeah. he's He's one of those directors where he, to me, he's kind of like Fincher a little bit. I actually prefer Fincher a little bit more to Nolan. But if you're going into a Christopher Nolan movie, I ha- I don't need to see a trailer or anything, but I know it's going to talk about identity. It's going to talk about time issues. It's going to talk about what is reality memory. and memory yeah. alteration. It's going to have a lot of unreliable narrators. And um, Hans Zimmer's doing the score. So a lot of dun Probably. Probably, probably Hans Zimmer's doing a lot of cello. <laughs> it's going to involve some Tony Wine and stuff. Um, I, you know, um, but, but go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Can we talk about, because of this picture, can we talk about peewee sexuality? Yes, let's talk about peewee sexuality. Thank you. Great. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, great question. Let's talk about peewee sexuality for a hot minute. Mm. So peewee is cisgendered. That is something that is pretty clear. He he is attracted to women. Like he's got a, but it's it's the way that a child is attracted to women. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say I'm bringing my little screen closer so I can put some makeup on. Yeah, he's but much he, more he's much more grown up and big top peewee. Yeah, he's much more grown up. But it, I would say that like his thing isn't that he's not asexual. He's not uh you know he's not uh he's not uh, homosexual. He's not into men. He's specifically attracted to women. He likes Dottie. He likes uh yeah. you know he has this sort of a sexual appeal i think to some women you know i'm a, I'm a rebel daddy it can't be held down you know like that kind of thing uh, he has crush it. i think it's like the way he's a sexuality the way like a child has or like a an unrealized and you know somebody who's not gone through puberty has like and, a sexuality 
also, I, sorry, go ahead, Tim. What I was just, you bring, I mean, I was thinking about like, like, you know, by the end of the movie, I guess you could say he does like Dottie, but like early on, like, I don't know, like, I think maybe his like, his sexuality kind of grew throughout the film, you know? Yes, because, this is a because coming he, up Yeah, he's, he's definitely like, not really interested in Dottie in that sense early on, obviously. He's like, it's not stated, but it's pretty clear. He's like, you know, you're my friend. I like you. I yeah. like you, Dottie. It's like, it's like the boy, a boy, a boy who's like, yeah, not gotten into it yet. And by even way, by the by the end. That's of Elizabeth the movie, Daly, by the way. Elizabeth Daly yeah. is awesome. Um, and by the way, by the end of the movie, she kisses him, and he makes this. He does this like cringe thing, almost like girls gross. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm putting my headphones in because so I. Well, can I mean, them. there are several moments throughout the film where I don't want to say there's sexual tension, but certainly, like, obviously, on one side, they. Definitely, I'm sorry, my cat is howling right now. Okay. <laughs> um, but there's definitely, uh, like, at least from on one side of the, the uh, one side of the scene, there is a certain level of. <laughs> I'm sorry. Was that, that a cat? Guy? Is that a cat? <laughs> yes. Are you guys was murdering that, somebody? Was that, was that Lucas? <laughs> <laughs> Lucas, blink twice if you're okay. <laughs> no, my, my my cat. One of my cats was like at the. Okay, so my desk is maybe less than six feet in front of uh, the staircase that leads into the basement, and it the cat both one or both cats at the same time they like to sit and just stand, walk back and forth at the top of the staircase, and they just like to howl into the basement. <laughs> oh wow, that's that's not creepy at all. It's so ridiculous. And it's just Are you ever scared that you're living in a haunted house? <laughs> they just like to howl into it. It's really weird. I, I have no clue. Anyway, but um yeah, you can hear it now. But uh yeah, so in scenes like this, there's definitely a certain level to um where she she's thinking like she's like thinking to herself, uh she might actually find that appealing that certain level of innocence is very appealing yeah. I, I do know like uh i do know you know for just like um you know some some people like you know certain guys be like rough and tough i don't want to say it's a kink because i feel like that's a weird thing to say but i mean it sometimes you just like he's nicer like he's yeah a non like an actual real non-threatening kind of guy and he's not only that he's not hyper masculine where he just seems like almost like he's so confident in himself where he doesn't yeah. need to. You know what he's got? He's got like, he's got, like and that, I hate to say that. it like this too, in reference to someone who got caught publicly masturbating, but uh, Pee-wee's got big dick energy. Pee-wee's got real big <laughs> dick energy. Like he does. He's got the energy of somebody who's just like, does not give a, a one crap what people think about him. And it, his life is like led in this way that, you know, he cares about his bike. He likes that people like him. He gets along well with people, but people seem more gravitating towards Pee-wee. That people like want to want to know what Pee Wee's about more than he has any interest in like uh, developing interpersonal relationships with yeah. certain people. Yeah, mm -hmm. he's just he's just kind of into his like his simple life and routines, you know. Yeah. Getting up, making breakfast, going to the magic shop, you know. Yeah. Simple, the simple things that bring him joy early on. Something like that, like yeah. Well, yeah. but, but but because he has like his routine, he does like you said enjoy the simple things in life, things where he's going. He does constantly seem like he's actively doing something. He's never just lounging about. You know, he is actively 
trying to get his back. He's actively trying to get a horn. He's actively trying to get new stuff for his magic tricks or whatever it may be. So he's constantly uh, someone on a mission, on an adventure. He's not lazy. So yeah. um, exactly. And there's something very appealing about, you know, a person that is constantly actively pursuing said thing, regardless of what it is, you know? And we see that that inspires, uh, that inspires people around him. Like uh, the waitress decides after meeting Pee Wee that she's going to take that trip to France. Like, we know, mm -hmm. the, the hitchhiker. Uh -huh. Is it France? Okay, France, I interpreted that she's taking a bus to Paris, Texas. Oh, maybe. Because no, no, then at the end of the movie, she's with a French man, and, and they're like in they're like in a clearly yeah. European European car. But yeah, you can't take a, a bus to Paris, I, obviously. Yeah, I, well, I interpret, and not to mention, I mean, like there's Europeans in everywhere in the U.S. You know, that, at least that's how I interpreted it. Because you know, like you yep. said, so they say our if, if they're at an airport, that's right. different. But. I'm just saying that she, she, he inspires her, au revoir, Simone, that very, you know, famous line. Uh, like, she, he inspires people to to go and be themselves if maybe they're, you know, scared to be deep down. Like the biker scene, like, you know, that whole thing. And then he wins them over by doing the tequila. Tequila dance. motorcycle. Do that dance as a kid all the time on the coffee tables around the house. And yeah. he actually bumped his head. So that was like a real reaction to him bumping his head. I mean the the scene where he's uh, saving all the animals from the, the from the shop. I mean, yeah, he's con. This is a this is a caper. This is definitely a caper that you'd imagine like the Muppets going on. Uh, the yeah. firefighters, like you know, there's the whole thing with the you know President Warner Brothers. You know, the firefighters, they're bikers. There's a the hitchhiker that or like mm -hmm. the guy who picks him up is a hitchhiker. There's you know, there's all these like you know. Funny characters, weird things going on. I he goes to national mom. He might go to the national landmark. You know. You know. You, you know what? You know what? Tim Burton movie. I kind of feel like might be like like, just kind of like really closely kind of inspired by it. I haven't seen it in a while, but just hearing all our conversation and it makes me think of the the movie Big Fish. Yeah, very much. Oh, oh very much. Yeah. Just because it's like about fish. like the guys like recounting like it's it's almost like a road trip or like a journey. It is a journey movie, but it's more looking back in the past and seeing the journey his father went on, but it's been kind of fantastical and kind of, you know, strange and. Yeah. And it's know. kind of this road trip. It's sort of about the people you meet along the way. It's the idea yeah. of these, like, yeah. How big is this story? Like, is this story just made up? Like, is this, right. yeah. I totally see this as a big fish kind of story. About, well, about alternatively, this is also better than the big fish. So hot take. Wait, why? You mean as a movie or is as, as a, a movie? I think so. I mean, wow, I like this. Obviously, this is my favorite movie, so I won't argue there. But I think Big Fish is good. I haven't seen it in a while. I think I think it's fine. Um, it, I don't think it's actively bad or anything. It's just, ah, uh, uh, I, I, I will say, Big Fish is sort of the sucker punch of the Tim Burton movies, where it's just sort mm. of like set piece, set piece, set piece, mm -hmm. uh, thing after thing after thing. Lots of, lots I, of visuals. Yeah, well, it's like he's like here and he's there and he's like whatever. And but I do like it it's because not uh, Peregrine's school for uh, children. That, that one is also wait, <laughs> damn it, that one's the sucker punch of the Tim Burton movies. <laughs> damn it, Alex, way to way to call me out on it. That's the sucker punch of the Tim Burton. But this You're has welcome. some elements of it, uh, you know, because they got the World War II thing. I mean, I see Big Fish as a really lovely movie about story, the stories we tell ourselves, the stories we tell our children about the kind of people that we are. Uh, whereas this is very much like the adventure of Pee Wee is just taking at face value. That's just what's going on. Whereas like Big Fish is about like the idea that 
stories are malleable. This may or may not have happened. This may or may not be reality. But at the end of the day, yeah. it's it's about the people that this man affected yeah. in his life. I, I do think it's when it comes down to the story, I, I find that actually I just thoroughly enjoyed myself significantly more with this movie, the smaller, tighter story where, um, you know, as ridiculous and fantastical as it is, you know, it it, it is, uh, there is a certain, um, uh, you know, there's a certain grittiness to it as well. Everything feels dirty, if that makes sense, <laughs> uh, you know, um, which I really, really appreciate, especially when there it is in this kind of slightly, you know, exaggerated, fantastical world. You know, I do actually prefer that over, um, you know, Tim Burton, where he's where he does have like larger budgets and everything, where everything is a bit too smooth and clean looking. Mm -hmm. I, mean, okay. I mean, it's I think it started it kind of starting out with it kind of started with Big Fish, where after that, where he started getting bigger budgets, you know, really big budgets, like $120 million. Budgets, oh, and where everything starts looking really smooth and shiny, everything, and it kind of loses that a uh, you know, that kind of grittiness appeal that oh. I really, really love about a lot of its earlier films. I really think that yeah. that probably started uh, around the Sleepy Hollow Planet of the Apes. I mean, I think I see Planet mm -hmm. of the Apes as like the big. I mean, Sleepy Hollow is oh, arguably the, yeah. the arguably like the, the the Sleepy Hollow is like his first real just straight horror one. Like mm -hmm. that was the one that was like it wasn't anything else. It wasn't kooky. It wasn't zany. It was just straight horror. Uh, yeah. But then right after that, like Planet of the Apes, huge blockbuster movie, uh, huge slick looking thing. It was very. Mm -hmm. It was like a real departure from that gritty griminess that you're describing of the Tim Burton like aesthetic and became this big, you know, this sort of Mark, uh, Mark Wahlberg, you know, that was the beginning of the Helena Bottom Carter era too. I mean, mm -hmm. talk about that. everything did feel a little, but everything did feel a little grittier with the, because of the color choices as well. I mean, there's no bold colors anywhere and every, where everything is just very muted. Everything from the weather to the clothing and pr every production is. Well, let's put it this way. Big Fish uh, cost uh, seventy million to, to make, wow. but Planet of the Apes costs a hundred million to make. Jesus, right? So that's that's the big thing right there. I mean, Batman was also like a you know it's a huge property. That's a big movie, yeah. but I don't think until we hit, I think Planet of the Apes was probably the biggest one, and seventy million was again for Sleepy Hollow. So I think it's around that Sleepy Hollow time that he started getting in these like mm -hmm. like just like just dollar dollar bills budgets. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Well, also with Batman, oh, superhero movies, Batman. something I remember is that superhero movies in, uh, especially oh. superhero movies in, in the 80s up until like maybe around Blade were almost considered a joke. I'm not saying that they were considered bad movies or anything because, you know, Superman films and all that good stuff. They were obviously bankable, but they weren't super mainstream. I mean, they were, uh, they weren't. They didn't make all that much money until like, no, until, you know, uh, until the surprise with that, with Tim Burton's Batman. And then suddenly we're like starting investing a lot more consistently before it was considered a huge, huge risk. So here's the deal. So you're, you're absolutely right. So Batman returns is the beginning of the budget where it's like 60 to $80 million. And before that, we're talking about something very small. Like the first 80, that's a lot of money. 60 to 80. Yeah, yeah, especially in like '90s movies. Uh, but '89 Batman that was a budget of 35 million. So we're talking yeah, about like well, a jump of like a huge amount of jump. And you're exactly right because these weren't seen as like you know necessarily blockbuster winners. But by the time we get Batman Returns, which is like the difference between '89 and '92, we're talking about like double or tripling the budget. Uh, yeah. 
yeah, Batman was very important in changing that. But in terms of that slick aesthetic look, I feel like that is something I attribute to uh, maybe the changeover from between Sleepy Hollow and Planet of the Apes. Uh, maybe that's just like a personal viewing of it. Like that's, you know, Planet of the Apes was century, 20th century Fox and not Warner Brothers. Maybe it just has something to do with that. But like, I just feel like that was the first movie that I was like, that does not look like a Tim Burton movie. That doesn't feel like Tim Burton movie. And it doesn't like have the beats, like the, the, the comedic beats or like the sort of strange uh, weirdo, like, you know, kooky beats of a Tim Burton movie. It just felt like someone else's film. Mm -hmm. It seems like, honestly, you would have, like, it's almost impossible to make, I mean, like the Planet of the Apes films are as far as way from Tim Burton anything as you can get. <laughs> I mean, sure, he's like he's cool with like sci-fi films and you know that kind of fantasy level, but uh, he has he as far as I can tell from what I remember, I don't remember him going into sci-fi ever really again. Well, Mars Attacks was sci-fi, but Mars Attacks had a very yeah, specific like, kookiness. Yeah, it was very it was like it, it was, was tongue in cheek. Yeah. It had all the Burton things. It yeah. was tongue in cheek. Campy. It yeah. was retro. It had almost like, it was like, Mars Attacks was Mars Attacks as made by Ed Wood. Like, yeah, it, was like a, it was like a, it was like a homage, a, a homage to the 50s. Yeah, uh, yeah and I, you know, Ed Wood is is one of my favorite Burton ones. It also doesn't feel very Burton-y because it wasn't written by Burton. It was written by uh, that team, Larry, I can never pronounce his last name, Larry Kalowski. Uh, they did the People versus O.J. Simpson. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it Tim, was. Uh, what do you think is what do you think movie is? Do you think is the sucker punch for Tim Burton? <laughs> I mean, it's clearly Miss Pedigree. Like that's. I mean, too. I haven't seen. That, I haven't seen that movie, so I guess that's what I would probably. That seems to be the most makes the most sense. Um, I mean, maybe maybe Charlie and Chocolate Factory, but I just didn't really like that movie. Yeah, Alice in Wonderland, maybe. Yeah, I mean, Alice in Wonderland's a good call. Did he, he didn't do the sequel? Did he? No, no he, he, just, sequel. he just produced yeah. it. I think he didn't. No. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, if we're talking about Sucker Punch in terms of, like, it's a nonsensical just, like, scene for scene, like, scene by scene, and we're just, like, we're just in different places at different times, like, with nothing really holding it together as a through line, I would say probably Miss Peregrine or prob or maybe Alice in Wonderland in terms mm. of, but really, and I think it's Planet of the Apes, like, too. I think yeah. it's, these are strange, strange movies. He made strange choices. I mean, yeah. he also did Sweeney Todd, which is one of my favorite ever musical adaptations. Mm -hmm. And so, and I, I didn't, I didn't even love Johnny Depp in that role, but I love that movie. So, mm -hmm. it just seems very weird. We're talking about a man who started with Pee Wee, who started with like I want Paul Rubens to star in my movies, to a man who ended up being like it's going to be Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter, and that's it. <laughs> that's the only people allowed to be in our films. You know what? If you kind of think about it, uh, Sleepy Hollow could be just be a prequel to <laughs> Sweetie Todd. If you think about Possibly. it, possibly, yeah. I mean, just okay. think about the aesthetic and you music. Sure, it's the different the genre. Storyline kind of works out. They, they one ends in London, the other begins. The other it begins in London. Yeah, or, I mean, like sure, he's like a scientist ish, or I can't remember. I think like, actually track. forensic, forensic. Scientist or whatever his what? technical job title was, uh, where he was in Sleepy Hollow, right? You see, yeah, Sleepy Hollow takes place in New York, I thought. Oh, it is it in New York? Is it in New York? Sleepy Hollow takes place in like, yeah, in like New England area, yeah, or, or oh, upstate New York or somewhere. In London for some reason, forget me. Because, but, because it's like Burton esque. Yeah. Just saying, it, just saying, I mean, like you're using a lot of the same tools for mm -hmm. shaving versus like cutting people open. You like, know? like, here, let me throw another one at you Corpse Bride. Is very much a Sweeney Todd. You could see Corpse Eyes as a Sweeney what Todd prequel. Cool. 
because mm -hmm. he's a fishmonger's son. He's uh, there's there's a lot of stuff going on there. But I'm just saying, like in terms of who Burton chooses to focus on or who he chooses to make his heroes, we got Paul Rubens, we've got Michael Keaton, like, and it's it's weird, Michael Keaton. This is like weird, Michael Keaton. Like he was like, you know what's what's cool is like making this crazy actor who's playing Beetlejuice. Let's make him Batman and see how that goes. And then like, you know, like I, as a child, I was never able to reconcile that those were the two same guys. I'm like, there's no f***ing way. Well, he was, a, and he was, a, and he was a comedic actor. I mean, he's a comedic what actor. That's what he was known for. Multiplicity. It's just clear that Tim Burton was attracted to strange people, like and Danny Elfman himself, Oingo Boingo. Like he's attracted to character actors you would say yeah. like uh, well, strange actors well uh michael keaton himself uh well scratch that i mean like a lot of comedic actors in general i mean look at jim carrey uh you know i mean like a lot of these really uh comedic really fantastic uh comedic actors actually do wonderful dramatic work robin williams uh, mm -hmm. another example and so you know we can't always talk about how um, in Hollywood, oh, you know, if you have been in comedies for so long, clearly you, that doesn't, if anything, that makes you probably more likely to succeed doing uh, drama because you understand timing so well. Uh, being an actor in comedy is, it's obviously timing is everything. I mean, that's like the whole, it's the joke. Um, but hey, it, uh, how did you make it? Dramas. I'm sorry? What's that, what's that joke about? Like, you know what comedy is all about? And then- timing. What? Timing. Yep. <laughs> so what I mean, Alice, don't talk over each other. Isn't that great? <laughs> we, we planned it out like that. Uh, so, so Jay Dog brought up a thing. Johnny Depp might be his best muse. I would, I would argue maybe against that. I think that Johnny Depp was a great muse for him, and then has steered him in a wrong direction, starting with Charlie yeah. Factory. Yeah, because I thought early, early Johnny Depp, but then Johnny Depp became like crazy, such a, such a character, and like obsessed with like yeah just these caricatures of like characters and like it's just yeah. too much and like I, think, yeah. I would say that uh helena bottom carter and and winona Ryder were great great muses of tim yeah. burton i think that like a lot of his aesthetic a lot of his appeal and a lot of this sort of we don't like really talk about the strong women characters of tim burton movies but they do they like i mean lydia uh lydia is a great female character uh, like, I just, there's so many, like Helena Bomb Carter and like everything like that she's in yeah. is great. Besides yeah. maybe again, Planet of the Apes. Uh, she's fantastic. Even in Dark Shadows, like one of the ones that I specifically am like, well, uh, <laughs> she's great in that. Like, you know, she's a, she's a strong female figure in those movies. And I think she had a lot to do with his aesthetic of what we consider the Tim Burton aesthetic. I think it's two probably biggest influences actor wise was like less Johnny Depp and more Helena Bomb Carter and Winona Ryder. Mm -hmm. Helen, Helena Rona Ryder, uh, uh, Hel Helena Bonham Carter, yes. she's one of those actresses, it, it just kind of depends on her mood, what she feels like doing. Because sometimes she whips out these really great roles where she's like, um, where she was like in the King's Speech or when she's in Fight Club. You know, when she, Fight Club, that role as Marla Singer was actually meant initially for, guess it, Reese Witherspoon. Well, that would have been terrible. Oh no! They they had made her dark. Tragedy, and everything. Tragedy, they, didn't know, they, 
they use the exact same like makeup and costumes and everything for her, but she had to drop out last minute for some because she ended up getting pregnant. Um, but yeah, so I actually really love her in Cinderella. I think she's fantastic as a fairy godmother. That's a fun time. Lemez, originally great. However, she does do it. Wait, guys, weirdly not a Tim Burton movie, even though that that that. I, that, I, that yeah, no, that, but just referring to just just referring to uh, Helena Bonham Carter, her career in particular, though. Yeah. But she. I feel like when she's honestly when she's with Tim Burton, I don't like her roles as much as. Oh, interesting! Go off, go off, girl. I well, like I mentioned, a lot of the movies that I really love her in, I like I said I mentioned, and I don't like, and I personally don't like us. Uh, like I, I don't like Dark Shadows. I don't like Alice in Wonderland. Sweeney Todd is good. But um, the best Mrs. Love it. We yeah. can all argue that. And, and like that's that's Patty Lapone's to take. Yeah, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Big, yeah. fish, uh, like I mentioned, I'm not a big fan of Planet of the Apes. Um, but yeah, almost like uh, almost most of the movies that she's in with Tim Burton, I'm not a fan. Interesting. <laughs> um, that's interesting. Corpse Bride. You have big feelings. About I, I think Bride? it's fine. Yeah, you yeah. know, I I prefer I prefer Frankenweenie significantly over uh, Corpse Bride. Okay. And also, oh. the music I prefer. So I, I'm not a huge fan. Oh, of. Nerd Chronic, you must be tuning in late. Uh, uh, she hates Big Fish. I know. I don't hate, hate it. I don't hate it. I just am not a massive fan. I, I just well, like, let me put it this way, Nerd Chronic. Norville. We haven't gotten to the part yet where Alex like grades this film, Pee-wee's uh, graded uh, Big Adventure. But I will say that Alex has already said that it's a better version of Big Fish. So yeah, which which made me like made me feel like you know hopeful because I know going into it she was despising having to watch this movie. Yeah, you really did not want to watch it. <laughs> no, it still does a lot of it. I, it. It's not so much I despise. I do want to clarify. It's just his character in particular. There's there's a lot about him, his character in this world that really annoys me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like it's, obnoxious. It, it, it's really obnoxious. I, I don't like his um, gross obsession with his bike. I don't like his <laughs> laugh. I don't like his outfit. No, it like it just gross obsession with his bike. I, I, it's like it, it just uh, makes. It, I don't like the way he talks to people. I don't like his relationships with people. I, I had to constantly keep in mind that he's a, he's a child. That's why, and right. that's fine. Um, but I just don't like his gross obsession with his bike. Go on, go on. Why do you think it's gross? I've lost bikes before. I'm somebody who's like, lost I, I, I understand that, but he has the ability to build another bike, to buy another bike. No, he's like, I want to travel five thousand miles, however long, instead to find the one specific bike. Yeah, I mean. I mean, is this bike given to him by a family member? Did he win it in a contest? What is the backstory of this relationship? Well, you have to, you have, you have to remember again that he's that he's a child. So you know, when you're a kid, you love you love things. And look at look at all the customizations and all the time put into that bike. I mean, he was already absolutely. he was in the process of getting a new horn. You know, there's a lot of work. Absolutely. There I totally, absolutely, but it's like. Someone clip this out. Obsession. It's gross. Maybe Alex is maybe because I personally never, as a child, I never loved something as much. At least a tangible item as much as he loves that. So I can't. He does seem. He love it more than he loved his dog. I'll put it that way. He's just like, bye, dog. Spec. 
<laughs> like I, I just, so I don't understand that thought process. Even when I was, even as if I were a child, I, I never had that relationship with thing, maybe a Pokemon deck, but that's it. <laughs> and that's, and I stole that sucker once someone like booked out enough money. Well, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, again, it's, it's again, it's, it's bringing a childlike mentality. And I don't think a lot of people in the movie understand it either. And that's what you're supposed mm -hmm. to be getting is that he's so childlike that people in the yeah. movie don't understand that that's what he's after. Yeah. There's one. So There's inconsistent because of that. I, I'm like, it, he's a child, but he's not a child. Well, he's, you know, he's, he's adult a, at the same time. He's not an adult. So it's, he's a childlike body. I mean, he's got, he's a man's body, but he's a childlike person. And he's got one other equal in the movie, which is Francis, his enemy, who also exists in this sort of adult childlike body situation. <laughs> he grosses me out. Like, My dad says anything is negotiable. Character. Yeah, I've got it. I love oh, that God, I love that character. Was I it, love was Mark, it Francis Mark, Mark, Mark Holton. Mark Holton, Mark. who was in Teen, Teen Wolf. Oh, yeah. Uh, what was it? What He's was also the last in Leprechaun, the first Leprechaun movie. Was his last name Bruxton? Is that who he is? Buck, uh, Buxton. Buxton. Great Buxton. name. Great name. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. kind of a play on the fact that they are rich. I mean, kind of, you know, they, they have a yeah. ton of bucks. They have a ton of bucks. Uh, I just think, I don't know. There's... There's uh, movies in which like the characters obsess about things that are uh, problematic. <laughs> there are a lot of movies that star like men who are like Ed Wood is very much the same thing. Ed Wood is about a man child who is obsessed with something very like trivial, which is making like the best worst movies. They are like in his mind, great movies that are like very obvious to the rest of the world are crap movies. But it's like to him, these are like, this is what makes him happy. This is what this is. He has a glee to him. He's got this childlike glee. You can say the same thing about um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That this is a Willy Wonka character. To put aside all the creepy, you know, you know, uh, Michael Jackson stuff. This is about a man obsessed with candy. It's mm. about a man, like it's about men who are obsessed, or it's about obsessions. When you think about, uh, even though he didn't direct it, his name is on it. When you think of Nightmare Before Christmas. It's about uh, the King of Halloween obsessing about Christmas. Like it's about uh, these sort of things that get I, under our skins and become our obsession. But, but the thing is the difference between them is that um, if we're gonna, okay, going back to, like you said, King of Halloween and Nightmare Before Christmas, everyone has an understanding and everyone is in on that obsession. Same for Ed Wood. Everyone is like, they don't agree with that obsession, but they're all actively working with him to achieve that obsession. Well, um, sort of. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, because because at the end of the day, it, the process is they're working on making a film. If you don't, even if you don't agree with your director as a cameraman, you're still helping him achieve his dream. So everyone is kind of on the same page to a certain extent, even if they don't individually agree on the specifics. Okay, so, so let me let me throw something else out at you then, though. What about his obsession with wearing women's clothing in Edward, which is like another big part of it, which is like his love of Angora, the fact that he's his his sexuality is he's straight, but he does have this obsession with putting on women's clothing and how like uh outro and like not okay that was in the in the 50s and 60s yeah. you know it's sort of about this like private self it's about like what makes us happy and and doing that and going towards that no matter what other people think about it well that's the thing if his what if his obsession is what makes him happy um it that's that's a that's that's what everyone is obsessed with what how I can achieve my individual happiness. That's not a specific happiness uh, trying to achieve on one thing. His Pee Wee's happiness is based solely on his gross obsession with his bike. Gross. <laughs> he he like a Fox News. Bike. You're like and a Fox News editorial. 
He's effed. <laughs> He's never going to be happy ever again. He's going to have nightmares every single day. Here, here's, okay. a, here's a question. He can't uh, heal. Here's a question. By the end of the movie, though, is he still obsessed with his bike? Oh, great question. I think he's learned. I think that's a great question. I think he's I learned to I don't, yeah. Out. yeah, I don't think he's as obsessed as I. I think he's found. I think he's found appreciation in in building friendships and relationships with people. Yeah, which is why he's like. Which is why he's now on board with pursuing you know something possibly with Dottie. Yeah, um, and why know, he's he like got those friends. He still has. He still obviously has his bike and he cares about it, but it's not like. I don't know if he yeah. like sees it as part of him anymore necessarily because he was able to like experience so much without it. Mm -hmm. He knows yes. that he doesn't necessarily need it. I mean, this film speaks to me as somebody who Ooh, like, we're getting deep. Yeah, well, I'm just saying like this film speaks to me as somebody who who very much like uh, as a child and as an adult has like overemphasized my relationship with things like over people because things don't like hurt you. Things don't like have a you know you don't have like a thing where you have a fight with a thing. And it leaves mm -hmm. you, you know, it's, it's kind of like Chris Cooper and adaptation where you get obsessed with like a certain, I don't know, like for me, it was for a while, it was crystals. It was adult coloring books for me for a while. It was bikes where I would get obsessed with certain things and like, I would just go ham on it. And then one day I'd wake up and like, not like that thing anymore or mm -hmm. like, you know, but then it became about, you know, finding communities. And now that I have like a bigger community of friends and stuff, I don't feel like the need to have these obsessive collections or these obsessions about, uh, getting certain things and like hoarding them the way that I used to. And I think a lot of, uh, a lot of Tim Burton movies can be seen through the gaze of like, this is, these are about people who are mad, like they're obsessed with a certain thing, with certain objects, with certain like uh, unreal, even Batman, like he's obsessed with this status, with this, this idol, this icon of these bats, you know, and he's like really rich, Bruce Wayne. He's obsessed with the machines, the gadgets. He's obsessed with these things that are not other people. And the movies are about sort of the idea of pulling you back into humanity, maybe, and the idea that it's the people, not the things. Maybe? I want to clarify something about Batman. Batman is not obsessed with being Bruce Wayne. Batman is obsessed no, with being no, he's Batman. Not. No one said he was obsessed with being Bruce Wayne. I'm saying he's obsessed with uh, the bats and the tech. Yeah, and that's even more, I mean, that's even more more prevalent in like the, the Burton films, I feel like. Yeah, he's obsessed. Especially, I mean, the, the bats specifically. Yeah, he's obsessed yeah. with the bats, he's obsessed with the tech, he's obsessed, but Bruce Wayne in, as opposed to in the Nolan movies, Bruce Wayne owns a lot of crazy ass stuff. Like Bruce Wayne is Bruce Wayne owns a lot of crazy ass stuff. Like yeah, he owns when that whole room. When that, that room with all the different armor and everything. Yeah, yeah he's got the room of different armor. He's, he's like really- the worker people. Yeah, he's got yes. he's got like all that high tech gadgetry. Bruce Wayne is yep. very much like uh, he surrounds himself by things, not people. Well, Batman is, regardless of which version, whether it's Tim Burton's Batman or Christopher Nolan's Batman or heck any Batman, Bruce Wayne is the alter ego. Bruce Wayne is one where he's faking it the entire time, and Christopher Nolan's he's literally pretending to take a nap because he's he's exhausted from being Bruce from being Batman for 16 hours, you know, um, you know, and so he's like faking it the entire time, this idea of a great, he's faking being, uh, doing this persona. So everyone will like think he's a laughing stock and he's annoying and everyone will ignore him and whatever he's being himself when he's Batman. So he needs Batman, the Batman persona in order to move on. That's why he can't kill the Joker. That's the whole thing, you well, know, um, because if he kills the Joker, then he's done. So he will have no reason to be Batman again. 
Well, just bringing we us back to the conversation. Just bringing us back to the Kiwi. Uh, the idea is like that Bruce Wayne and Batman are both obsessed with things. Like there, there's a really funny joke on yeah. Tom and Jeff love Batman or watch Batman that podcast. Uh, I'm gamefully unemployed. Uh, Tom Ryman's uh, podcast network where they basically just do this ongoing joke where they're watching every animated episode of Batman, uh, and it's just that Batman would rather save a, a piece of artwork, like a valuable piece of artwork, than like a small child. Batman would rather save like a bag full of money than like a small child. Batman would rather save anything that is that is a status symbol of the wealthy. Like he gets more upset over the idea of a bank robbery than he does over the idea of a murder. Because Batman is, at the end of the day, uh, whether it's Bruce Wayne or Batman, if we're talking about somebody who's out for the 1%, of like, you know, he's he's speaking to the 1% and cares about the issues of the 1%, not the issues about like the slums of, of Gotham. But I, I think that this idea of this, I don't forget what the term is called when you're more obsessed with things and objects than you are with people or interpersonal relationships. It's definitely like a- Materialistic? No, it's, but beyond materialistic because it's like to the extent <laughs> that like you can't, uh, like you develop unhealthy relationships with, to your point, like your gross relationships with objects right. or with, yeah, bikes. Or let's say candy, or let's say uh, angora sweaters, or let's say you know a, you know anything that like in these movies that uh I think even Big Eyes is a little bit about this like that you know his obsession with his art and his painting over his real world your relationships. I you mean her is that you are talking about hers? No, big, no, no. The art that he was making, Walter Keane's artwork, his own artwork that he was making in Big Eyes, <laughs> and. Well, because she's the artist. Oh, she's the artist. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm right. just, oh my God, I'm totally blanking. Because but that's what, about, yeah, part of the movie Waltz, is that she's the artist, not him. But what? But he isn't Christoph Waltz the. He is because he, he okay. So he is a, pretty much her like her husband. They get married, and so in yeah, order what? for her work to be more taken seriously, because it wasn't taken seriously with the painter being a woman. Oh, suddenly, right, right. suddenly, uh, suddenly they put his name attached. Suddenly they get a lot more. Uh, they get oh, right. so, yeah, it's much more famous because uh, of it. and it's like a whole thing how uh, he has to prove that he's like he's been painting and she's like and because he takes her to court saying that after she sues him essentially. So switch the genders around and we have the same thing, which is just yes. sort of sorry, sorry. Right. I was, I was like, trying to think. I was, I was thinking, I was thinking of Walter Keane, like the name of the artist, but like yeah, uh, the idea that like, and by the way, it's the same with this Marie Marie Curie thing that's on uh, Net, uh on Amazon Prime right now, which is like you become obsessed with the art, or you become obsessed with the object, or you become obsessed with the thing rather than the interpersonal relationships of people that you're hurting or helping along the way. I, yeah, big whoops on that on the big eyes thing, but like you know, I think that. That's sort of an under theme of, I'm trying to think of one Burton movie that doesn't fit this. Beetlejuice maybe is more about the people, the relationships. Like Beetlejuice isn't about the totems. It's about the interpersonal relationships. Edward Hands. I, mean, I even thought of it yeah. as being obsessed with life. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Beetle, Beetle, the character of Beetlejuice is, is obviously the selfish character who's only out for himself, but uh, it is about, you know, Lydia find, finding herself and her happiness. Mm -hmm. Edward Scissorhands, another one where unless, you know, like it's really, it's about his connection to her. And it's about like the fact that, you know, it, that's like a town against the monster. If you were doing this as a sort of like a man versus nature thing, this would be like, you know, town versus monster. But it's, it's that's about his connection to the reality in the world. Mm -hmm. um, what, about, I, I, um, what about, uh, what should I call it? Dark Shadows. 
Mm -hmm. I don't like, I can't think that's of again, that's again about family, that's community. So I would say less so. Yeah. And also it's like a, it's like a, a it's not a, like an original property. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, you're right. It's also another thing, but it's also like the obsession with status, his like his conscious effort to regain the family status again. If we, if we think about the song from uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, where he's just like, what's this? What's this? Like, and we apply it to a lot of these movies or like, you know, like the, any song of Jack Skellington's apply it to Pee Wee Herman, apply it to Batman, apply it to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, apply it to Ed Wood. And you'll start seeing like a pattern here yeah, of like sure. these men who develop an obsession with something that's not theirs, that they want this ownership of that they are like, that is theirs and they want this ownership of, and that they're completely to the fact that they are blocking out other things that are going on or like doing stuff that's against their best interests or that's that they're acting in general. <laughs> yeah. But I mean like, yes, usually less so about objects, more so about behavior. Mm -hmm. Right. I just love this idea of Alex is his gross obsession with his bike. <laughs> like it's, I mean, it's ridiculous. Okay. Thing is I'm a military brat. And so pretty much growing up, I, I grew, I moved around a lot growing up. And so if you didn't, for me, we got rid of stuff all the time because every few years we're like, well, if we either trash it, give it away, or we have to actively actively pay money in order to move it. And so that conversation of how important is this item to you mm -hmm. happened a lot. So as a result, I just became very indifferent to a lot of stuff very quickly. Yeah. You know? I remember I remember one time doing a this thing where uh, when I was in college and afterwards there was this one incident like in New York where people just kept stealing my bike. Like I and I kept going around campus and like trying to find it. And I would go on these manhunts that were very peewee-like in like their de like dedication, devotion, and obsession. Like it it's at a certain point it stopped being about the bike and it started just being about this like all-consuming rage that my shit kept getting stolen. But like I would go around campus, I would like take note of like the tires, which bikes were like, you know, seemed like they had just been re like rejiggered and retooled with. I'd gotten like retrace your steps. I retraced my steps. No, it was always like a bike that had been Francis. stolen. And there was a couple times where it was like, it was very clearly like the bike was getting stolen by the same person. Cause no matter how I locked up or whatever, it was clearly like a vendetta, or at least I viewed it that way. It felt like a very personal thing that was being done to me. And like my bikes just kept, like I would buy a new bike. It would be a bad bike. It would be a good bike. Mm -hmm. It happened like five or six times over the course of four months in New York city. And I like locked my bikes up. So it felt like very personal and that, yeah. and, and that obsession became very real for me. And that thing where it wasn't really even about the bike itself. It was just about my, my inability to let go yeah. of, of a certain thing. Like maybe this speaks to me a little bit because I'm like, I get it. I get that desire to like go across the country to solve that mystery of the bike. But then it's really well, not about the bike. It's about the friends you made along the way. Not only that, I feel like in, especially in the case of Pee Wee Herbin, his character knowing as you're talking about who he is, what's going on. The, the, the bike is a very symbolic thing just like in a lot of movies mm -hmm. obviously um where it's almost symbolic of his childhood you know that idea that you know i feel like everyone has that thing you know sometimes it's the getting over the death of a dog or or just a pet or just or whatever it your whatever the item may be where you had this item for so long you helped you've loved it for so long and you kind of go on this adventure with it and you kind of 
realize you didn't need it as much as you thought you did. Exactly. So by, by the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you kind of rely on other things in its um, in its set. And that's Before, why I think it, I think it counts as a kind of sorry. I think you're frozen is frozen again a little bit, Alex. I can't I can't let's see. Uh, but uh, I would say I agree with you 100 percent there that it is that's why it, it counts. I think in my mind as a coming of age film because yeah. it is about the real. There you go. There you got back. Uh, it's about the acknowledgement that like you know these things, these childhood things, aren't as important like uh, as as the community, as the people. And at the end of the day, you could probably give away the bike or like you'd be okay with like letting the bike go. It's no longer, you realize it was never about the bike. There is yeah. no spoon. But I will say that um, when you go back and you reintegrate this with what Pee Wee's Playhouse was and like the idea of Pee Wee's Playhouse, it was all like non, it was all sentient like furniture and like mailboxes and stuff. So the idea that like Pee Wee would have a very personal attachment to something that's like uh, an object totally tracks for the peewee world. Maybe not for like the Tim Burton or like um, a world that wasn't used to knowing what peewee Herman was. But in the peewee Herman world, every object is basically sentient. So yeah. of course he would care about this bike. Yeah. And he had a, and he had a cool scooter in Pee-wee's Playhouse. Yeah, what? He had a cool scooter mm-hmm. oh. that he would always leave and get on in the credits of the, the opening credits of the show and, and whatnot. Um, so I want to ask before we, before we go on to Dose and Hold Up, was there anything that we missed in terms of favorite characters or lines or scenes that uh, that uh, that anyone wanted to point out? I mean, I mean, I mean, I never, I didn't really get to talk about. I think my favorite scene is is the is the scene out front of the house where he meets Francis and they have their interaction. I love that scene so much. I quote that scene. I love. I always use that that that, that gif of of Pee Wee laughing and falling on the ground and laughing. And there's a really, there's also a really funny like YouTube like edit where it's like him laughing and then it rewinds itself and then goes and it just keeps going. It's really, for someone yeah. who doesn't love the movie, probably wouldn't love it, but I love it because I love the movie. <laughs> but, so you won't recommend it to me. <laughs> I mean, probably not. You probably be like, this is really, really annoying, but I think it's great. But I, I um, love that scene. That scene cracks me up. Um, I mean, yeah. Uh, well, actually, mine is actually very similar to yours, Tim, because my um, actually I didn't I don't really care about you know uh, I I didn't like have a favorite specific line or scene, but there was a moment where I was like, that's a good moment where I'm like, that feels very relatable. Um, it was a scene where he's like uh, riding his bike into town and he's like riding past like a bunch of the kids and stuff like that. But there's one where he's trying to do like a trick or something. He ends up like flipping into like the kids' yards and they're like cool. Well, like they said like cool peewee or something and he's like meant yeah. to do that and i, I, was, meant, oh, I meant to, i meant to do that i yeah i was like meant to do that and i was like that oh that hurts <laughs> you know uh, I, everyone did that as a kid oh <laughs> uh, yeah i would say what the one that really speaks to me i guess is like like i'm a rebel dotty like i can't a loner. I'm, a rebel, I'm a loner dotty yeah what it's yeah. i forget the exact line i'm a loner dotty a rebel you don't want to get mixed up with a guy like me love I'm a it dotty a rebel yeah and then, and, then, and then, and what's funny about that line is that's later used against him when Mickey says it to him on why he doesn't want to be around Mickey, and it's just funny because he was like, and "Think about oh, what that, that means." Like that is him saying that is like him, like basically quoting what he's heard from movies or TV shows. But also, right. his life identity is he, like, he does see himself as a loner and a rebel who doesn't like want to have people in his life. He's you know, don't get mixed up with the likes of me. That's like, the most rebel thing ever. But it's also like very like, you know, we think it's funny because he's so silly of a man, but he's basically just giving you his outlook on life, which is I'm alone. I'm by myself. I am a singular person. I, I don't care for people. I'm a rebel. 
Uh, you don't want to get up mixed up with me. I don't give a, sh a damn about well, I mean, it. And he even it's says that later on when she, when she offers her help to mm -hmm. help him find a bike. He says, I, I don't need you. I don't need anybody. Yep. Mm -hmm. well, he, like, so his, it's, it's, while, while talking, when you define his character, like who he is, everything he does, his adventure overall, he is very rebellious. He, you know, he is, you know, yeah. a loner and everything. He's just not the kind of, you know, loner rebel we traditionally think of, especially by Hollywood standards that we kind of uh, associate with those, you know, labels. Because well, he's now. friendly and he's friendly and he's like personable and he's like, ha ha. But like the thing yeah. is, at the end of the day, he knows what kind of person he is, and he's yeah. like, I'm I'm a strange man who has strange interests, and like you know, I think of Vincent Price and oh, Edward Scissorhands. Mm -hmm. You know, I think of Edward Scissorhands like a Vincent Price just alone in his tower, like making a boy for himself. You know, or I think yeah. of Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, like alone in his factory, just like you know, tinkering around. It's it's people who don't like to be around people, like these iconoclastic, you know, uh, you know. You can think of them as wacky. You can think of them as harmless. But at the end of the day, these are people that prefer the company of themselves and the company of objects rather than the company of other human beings. And I feel like that's kind of an interesting, that's an interesting little button on it. Um, I do just want to ask. Guys, go ahead. I was going to say, did you guys catch the Tim Burton cameo? You know the Tim Burton cameo? No. Uh, where was, was it? He was the bum. No, he's the, uh, so whenever Pee Wee's like out in the rain, and right before he goes to Madame Ruby, he gets like hassled by those game, like those like those yeah. like thugs in the alley. Tim, oh, Bur that was Tim, him? Tim, Burton, Tim Burton's the main thug that talks to him. He says, "Hey, you're you're new to here. We don't take kindly to strangers coming around here." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah." And like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, guys, so I want to ask: Do we think this movie holds up? I mean, does it? Or I guess, yeah. Do you think it's what? What do you guys think about watching this movie today? I know Alex, it was your first time seeing it. I really want to get your opinions on it. I mean, what would you recommend this movie? I would. Um, it's I kind of put it in the same wheelhouse as like Pulp Fiction and a lot of those movies. Oh no! I, no thing is no thing is I I would I would definitely excitedly watch it again. I don't want to see it again. <laughs> um, just because it, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of the specific, like, it's just his character in particular. Like I mentioned, I just find his character incredibly annoying. And I, like, I actively try not to be on my phone the entire time because I, I really dislike his character. Um, I, I do think it's like, as far as like physical comedy, I thought, I think it's really important as well. You know, set production, it's a, uh, you know, we don't really, a lot of, um, I, I can't think of very many directors outside of Tim Burton that are have the design, the aesthetic that is so iconic, specific to that director. Yeah. And um, you know, for that reason alone, almost I would make it a you know required watching for anyone that you know considers themselves a cinephile. You know, I you know it's pre it's a pretty necessary movie. It's weird. It's creepy, and also. I, I again I just don't want to see it. It kind of just makes me uncomfortable. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't like it. I'm sorry, Tim. I know that's fine. Like, I mean, this movie, this movie, this movie is strange. Likes it better than like, big fish. Yeah, I mean, I'll take that. I mean, this, this movie is strange and like, and I think like coming into it, like if you're like an adult and you see this movie for the first time, you're not gonna like you might like enjoy it, but but overall you're gonna be like, this is just what am I what is going on? Like, why why is he acting like this? What is happening? You just like don't really understand it. But I feel like like this movie, like I had a, since I've liked it since I, basically since it came out, cause I was born in 1984 and it was like one of the first movies I remember loving. Like 
I've had a weird. Yeah, basically, I mean, I've had a weird journey with this film because, like, you know, I've always loved it, but there's like that weird period, you know, where where Paul Rubens had his his issues, where like, you know, it was, it was almost like, you know, it was like a not a, you know, you're not you're not supposed to like Paul Rubens because of yeah. you know, what, what he did, you know, what he what he was and everything. And I'm so glad, you know, I mean, I still loved it throughout. I've always loved the movie, and I've always loved Pee Wee and Paul Rubens, and I'm glad he was able to like come back and had like you know, a really nice comeback in terms of yeah. like his career. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I, for me, I think the movie definitely holds up. And I think, I think if people go into it, like, you know, kind of like with a certain point of view, I feel like it would still, it, it would hold up overall, but it is, it is a strange movie. It is a strange like idea. And you have to, you have to remember this movie existed before, you know, Pee Wee's Playhouse, before Big Top Pee Wee. So it was kind of like the first run at like this version of Pee Wee, where he was more, more kid friendly and more innocent, you know? Yeah. yeah. I would say that I, I really, I'm not, this is not my favorite, uh, this is not my favorite Pee Wee Herman. I mean, it's not my, it's not my favorite Tim Burton movie. It is a great film. However, I believe it does belong in like the pantheon of like original concepts, original like ideas. I, I like later Burton a lot. I think Ed Wood is probably my favorite um tim burton film which is like a strange thing to say i also really love beetlejuice like there will be later films of burton that i love a lot the idea that what he did here was he took like a performance artist like that's what Pee Wee herman is he's a performance artist character mm -hmm. it's created by paul rubens like there's yeah. it's sort of like the video drew thing like it's it's not like paul rubens had a lot of other characters that he was doing mm -hmm. he just was a performance artist who who along with his group his like performance art collective made peewee and tim burton was like i want to make this character into its own Give him his own world and give him his own universe, and I think for that reason alone, it's like very singular uh, and unique. And I would always recommend this movie to people just because it's about like a man and his obsession. Uh, and wait a minute, I bought this movie. Oh man! Yeah, this this is on HBO Max and now, and so is Big Top Pee Wee. And then of yeah. course, uh, there's the uh, there's the the much remake. much much later sequel they made a couple years ago. Called Pee Wee's Big a Big Holiday with uh, with jo with uh, starring Joe Manganiello as a version of himself. And have you, uh, have you seen that one? I have not. I haven't. It. I haven't watched it since it came out. But when it came out, I really liked it. And I and I remember it got still got it got pretty good reviews. So I mean, I I really like it. I I need to rewatch it though. But I there was definitely moments I liked a lot. It's 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 more akin to Pee Wee's Big Adventure than Pee Wee's Playhouse. Because mm -hmm. um, it's more of a it's more of a, a road trip type story again, but I, uh, I I thought it was really fun and I love just love seeing the character back. Uh, we do have a thing of uh, so do we want to jump into uh, we we could have done a recasting for this, but I don't really think that's necessary. Pee Wee's Pee Wee. There's not really much you can do with with, I mean, with the recasting. Yeah, he clear, he clearly played the character a couple years ago and it was fine. So I've yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, then I then I guess we'll just get into right next. Uh, we have a movie coming up for next week for Cinema Bias. Uh, this is one that I don't I haven't seen. Someone was surprised that you haven't seen it, Alex. This was actually this is uh, from a fan. So this is uh, somebody via our Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com backslash video drew, you can come give us a couple movie suggestions. And if one of both of us haven't seen it, then we'll put it on the list. and You can come on and talk to it to us about it. Um, this was re recommended by uh, G Nappy, also known as I Blame Gravity, also known as Oliver. Uh, he'll be coming on and talking to us about Akira, which is a movie that I haven't seen. Have you seen it, Alex? Me either. 
No, I'm not. I've actually read some, uh, a handful of the graphic novels, but it has been a very long time. But I love anime. I love graphic novels. And it this movie, from what I've been told, it is a huge inspiration for a lot of, uh, you know, sci-fi in Hollywood as we know it, especially the visuals. Mm. Not, neither of you guys have seen this movie? Nope. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's, it's uh, awesome. Like, is it animated? It's animated, yeah. I keep getting it confused with yeah, the Wrath of God one. It's very, very good. It's funny. I just, I just recently thought of an interesting double feature with this movie because I feel like Speed this Racer? movie. No, it, it, is it what? Speed Racer. No, it's uh, <laughs> it, it's it's a movie. I would be surprised if anyone in, has really heard of. I feel like Drew, you probably heard have heard of it, but right. it's uh, it's called Tetsuo the Iron Man. Yes, I've watched Tetsuo. I've yeah. watched Tetsuo. That yeah. that is very random because I'm not that that into. Uh, uh, those like uh, Japanese or, or, or animated movies or movies that are like about like, that. This is something that passed me by, and that's my own fault. Or Tetsuo is more of an just an experience. It's not. Really it's, it's, an, it's an experience. I watched it during a really weird part of my life, and I, I just sort of it's all hazy memories. But my God, that movie was so good. What I feel like movie. I feel like this movie would be a good like double Tetsuo. feature. Oh my God. Great. I just want that. They, they did it on. They did it on Dobar Briggs, the last drive-in this last season. They did a. They, they showed Tetsuo, which was my first time seeing it, and it was, it was an experience. But anyways, yeah, that was my little side bet on that. So There's yeah, a lot to dive into this movie. Um, I again, I haven't seen it, but I know a lot about it, <laughs> and how difficult and how risky it was to make. It was like one of the most expensive animated movies of the time, which especially released, especially, and it was also one of the most profitable movies in Japan when it was released. It so was a huge yeah. deal, huge deal. Um, so this, is be, this is gonna be a big one for us. So yeah, so uh, yeah. I blame Gravity is in the comments right now. So we're gonna be talking about that next week at uh, 8 p.m. PT. And guys, if you do wanna join us uh, and you do wanna come on the way that Tim's doing right now, the way that Sean Berto's uh, has come on and talked about Wall Street, we're, we're trying to fill in these gaps of our knowledge. So uh, yeah. Go join the Patreon, find the tier that's right for you, and and, and come join us. Uh, so that was just sort of, if you have something you want us to watch, we're into it. Yeah. We're, we're open to suggestions about what kind of movies we need to fill our brain holes with. There are, there are so many movies that it turns out I have not seen. Most movies. Oh, I mean, I have some strange gaps. Like, I think two of the biggest gaps for me, like two singular films, are, are Lawrence of Arabia. <gasps> And uh, 2001, and 2001: A Space Odyssey. I haven't seen either of those movies. Yeah. <laughs> now, now Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of the Arabia. They show. In, we, have a, we, have a, we have a really great like independent art house theater here in Tucson, and they show Lawrence of Arabia every year in 70 millimeter. So like, I want that's that's what I, that's my first. I really want to experience it in that situation. The last the last time the last time they did it though, it was the day after. Their my favorite event that they do, which is the all night Screamorama, which is they just show like eight or ten, like seven or eight horror movies all night, dawn to dusk, and uh, and uh, it was the, it was the day after that, and I was like, I'm not gonna go because I'm I'm tired. I'm gonna go home and sleep. But those are two big gaps for me. I would say. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna talk about my gaps right now because you know I'm I'm gearing up for uh, a certain a certain trivia. Thing that we all know and love. I don't think that talking about my gaps in knowledge, uh, of film knowledge. I mean, I mean, I am, I am, I am too. But I, I those are two of movies. My, one, of my way, one of my ways of studying is, I mean, I study my gaps. I mean, just because yeah. I haven't seen those movies, I fairly confident I can answer most questions on those yeah. two movies because those are two iconic movies that I just know about. 
I have, I have, missed, I have missed questions about movies that I've loved, and I have exactly gotten questions about movies that I have never seen, like, and will like never, right. probably never see. Uh, yeah. uh, but uh, that being said, so yeah, guys, if you have any recommendations for movies for us, like you can send it to uh, you can go to Patreon, you can sign up. Um, but real quick, uh, where can people find you, Tim? Uh, before I plug myself, I want to answer Nerd Cornick's question. He oh, asked, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw asked, that. There are a couple questions. He asked, he asked who, what was more, like, I guess, what was more influential in my childhood, yeah. uh, Pee Wee or Ernest. Uh, Pee Wee, right. Pee Wee, this Pee Wee was probably number one because I did love this. Obviously, this movie is my favorite movie, but I also really love Pee Wee's Playhouse and Big Top Pee Wee. But Ernest is right there with it. I mean, I love all the Ernest movies, and I love Jim yeah. Barney. Jim Barney was. A treasure. So another kind of performance artist. That's Ernest. Kind of Ernest goes to camp. You know, Ernest does all Ernest, this stuff. Ernest saves Christmas. Ernest goes to jail. Ernest scared stupid. He was like a. He like started off as like a, man he, was like a, he was like on a commercial. Like that's how he got his like start. He's like the voice of Slinky, the dog in yeah. uh, Toy Story. In the, first, in the first two Toy Story movies. Before he passed away. Yeah, he he's in, like a redneck. Like yeah, he says, you know, you know what I mean. Saying all these things that I have no idea. <laughs> oh my God. Toy Story. He's not clicking anything for me. He's not Toy Story, though, right? He's got a very signature yeah. kind of like southern raspy. Yeah, like, I, I, he I, was. He, did you see the Beverly Hills uh, Hillbillies movie, the remake? Okay, no, was he, was Jed, he was he was Jed Clampett. Was that his last? Was that his last role? Toy Story referring to from a slinky, a dog slinky. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, like, it's not. It's such an iconic voice where I remember it versus like Wallace or you know. You would not have liked him. Let me just put that way. I can see why you didn't. You missed it. This was around. This is 1990. So like his stuff was big around the early 90s. It's easier to have missed. He was also kind of a man child like character. And yeah. there was also something a little bit strange, a little strange about him. I put yeah. him in like Polly Shore stuff, kind of in the same category. I'm trying to bring up a picture real quick. And he was, and he was more, and he was more, more, and he was more of an idiot, like like. A, yeah, like he was a, an idiot. He was like, uh, like, like the town, like the town idiot, like you know. You he know. was uh, he was like the Boo Radley of of uh, yeah. <laughs> of the wherever he was from. <laughs> Great bold. I I can't ex put into words how much I detest Polly Shore movies. Wow. But, such an aggressive passion. I've never seen a Polly Shore movie that I've liked ever. I love me some Biodome. Oh God. It, oh, son in law. Oh God. Because the biosphere like is located movie. here. Anyways. Hey, Alex, have you ever seen a, a Polly Shore movie? Like all the way through? I've seen six or seven. I yeah. think that's all there is. I mean, does that? Are you including like? Are you including like movies uh, where he movies where he wasn't like? Cena Man. Like, yeah, because like in Cena Man, he's not really he's a side character. It's not really. Well, I don't, I see, okay, so when I say Polly Shore movies, I am referring to Polly Shore movies that he is like in the main roles. Yeah. So, like so Biodome. I'm, I'm just gonna pull it up uh, real quick. Biodome, Sunlaw, In the uh, Army Now, Jury Duty. Um, I've not Jury seen Jury Duty. Sure. I've seen, however, yeah, Truly, the, the courtroom thriller, all that. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh, I forgot he was in Goofy movie. I like, uh, I like, I like. Yeah, the he was in a Goofy movie and extremely Goofy movie. Class act, nope. Um, son-in-law, nope. Um, you haven't seen it, or that's just a note, just like a note from you, dog. It's just no. I mean, like, no, I don't like it. <laughs> I just act. He's just like also like. I, but also a lot of his movies where he's like in these smaller roles, 
you know, I haven't seen. It's just he's <laughs> so huh. it's the leading tower. Oh, yeah. You know what's funny is to try to read uh the famous lines of of him and like other people's voices, like if you're gonna do Bane doing <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's the leading tower. The leading power of cheese. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That was my no, I, I feel like I can't do Pee Wee. I can't do Pee Wee. Of course, Pee Wee was the voice of the navigator in Flight of the Navigator. Yes, he was. He was also uh, in Buffy, the movie. He did yes. Ooh, ooh. Oh, I, oh. And he's, oh, never mind. I don't want to mention that because that's that's a spoiler if people haven't watched something. So I'm not going to mention that. But I will say that, like, uh, in Bat, he's come back in the Batman continuum several times, both in Burton's Batman and in Gotham, the TV Gotham show. TV show as, as a Cobblepot's as a, father. Cobblepot, yeah. Yep. All, it, which yeah. is reviving the role from Batman Returns. Yeah, because he was he was he was he was his father in Batman Returns, and and the and the mother was, Simone. is Simone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, oh, and I was going to say Paul Rubens is also the voice of DJ Rex in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And he used to be the, uh, uh, well, now he's, he used to be in, in Star Tours, but now he's over at, um, uh, at the Cantina in Galaxy's Edge in Disneyland and Disney World. So you can he's hear also Paul the voice. He's also the voice of, uh, what is it, Lock, Shock, or Barrel? Yeah, Night Before Christmas. I can't yeah. tell them apart. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's and, and, and he and he does like the live performance at like the Hollywood Bowl. Like he's done a couple of those that oh. like Danny Elfman does, and I love it. I want to see that so bad. So I want to go back real quick before we go back to uh, Alex, where we can find you. Or you said you were going to plug your stuff uh, in a second, uh, but I do want to make sure Adam Ward is okay. Uh, let's see, Adam Ward, are you? Are is this like a sign for help? What is this? What's going on here? <laughs> like, no, I don't I don't know. Is, that, is that an activation phrase? Are you okay? <laughs> also, I just want to mention that uh, he, in Gotham, he plays uh, Cobblepot's dad, uh, the Penguin's yeah. dad. But that is not only inspired casting, but that is such perfect casting because he also looks identical to the guy that plays Oswald. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like, it's, it's not identical. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's yeah. So weird. It is weird how much he looks like Robin Lord Taylor. Uh, it is weird, but it is also funny that they were just like, that's the one thing we'll keep over from like the Burton Batman. I thought Gotham right. actually took a lot from the Burton Batman's, like the, the kind of like goofiness of it, especially in like the second season, up until the yeah. second to last season. Uh, but anyway, Tim, where can people find you before I go off on the uh, Yeah, sorry. You can find me on Twitter, tfranco84. I'm on there. Tweet some things here and there. Um, you can find me soon in the movie trivia showdown singles division, where you're going to see me apparently shock the world and take down Drew's Drew's former teammate Tom. Maybe, but, uh, maybe. maybe we'll see that. Maybe. In, in all fairness, it's going to be a great match. I'm looking forward to it. I'm not nervous. I don't really go into these things nervous. I take it and I just have fun. And you know, it's a way for me to channel my. My uh, love for movies and my passion for movie trivia that I've had since I was a little kid. So, um, and nothing says not nervous than being unpromptly telling people that you're not nervous. I'm not nervous. No, just because I was on. I was on. I was on. I was on John Roca's show the other day when he had Christian on. I they brought me in, and that's like the first thing Roca asked me. He's like, "Are you nervous?" And I'm like, "No, I'm, I'm not." I, mean, I just yeah, just, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Alex, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me hosting a show called Cinebias, uh, where I we 
really argue and debate, schmow down questions, really big ones. Uh, tomorrow it's going to be actually, speaking of John Roca, it's actually going to be an outlaw themed episode with John Roca as my co-host and Eric Rodriguez and Dwayne Burke are going to be my competitors tomorrow. So it's going to be nice. so much fun. It's going to be Civil War Part 2. It's going to be all that back at chips. So definitely come hang out. Starts at 930 Central. Please do. Uh, with the call to, to action, you know, channel on YouTube. I also do a Mornings with the Outlaw every single um, Monday and Friday, where we kind of talk about, um, you know, movie news, TV news, whatever, maybe. We just kind of feel like chatting about, honestly. A lot of movie debating. Like, we have vastly different opinions on 500 Days of Summer. We went into it. So. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> we pro or con? We pro or con? Well, our argument is whether or not uh, the main character is a dick. And I was like, yes, he's an asshole. Yeah. Wait, did you he see that Joseph Gordon-Levitt retweeted out the image of it's like movie yeah. villain? Versus actual villain in the movie. Yeah. Villain. And I'm like, in the Stark says he's an asshole. He's an asshole. It's yeah. written as a satire for rom-coms, you know, with a similar I think, formula. I think he's, a, he's a gross obsession with a, uh, talk about gross obsessions. He's got a gross obsession in that movie, but it's with a chick. So it's way worse. And also his, uh, his like imaginary version of a chick, his fantasy of this chick. Now actually what the chick feels. Okay. Much, much so, rather have bike guy. I got into a real big, and we had a quite an argument about whether or not he's an asshole because, you know, she, I mean, she kind of let him on, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, she did not lead him on. She was very obvious. Anyway, that was the whole thing. But, and a lot of people in the chat disagreed with me. Okay. <laughs> but I was like, 99% of you guys are men. The, like the five people and the women in the chat agree with me. So they understand. <laughs> they understand. All y'all don't. I, I, I get it. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Uh, and is, is, is that, is that, is that, is that, where else can we find you? Oh, you can find me here on Twitter Sweet. and I, on called action podcast on Twitter. Sweet. I run it. Uh, uh, oh, we got a donation. Hold on. Bring this up. It's going to come up in a second. Let's see. Cause I'm seeing it right here. It's from Adam Ward. Much love. It's going to come up in a second. Let me remove it for now. Uh, you can find me. Uh, here we go. There it Boop. is. There it is. Thanks for thanks for a great show tonight. Much love. Thanks, Thank Donka, man. That yeah, was fun. By by next week, we should have a thing where this is going to be integrated in, and we won't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, about having to bring it on the stream and it glitching things out. Adelia says she found a way. You are joining us at my channel, so if you want to know where to find me, you can just press like and subscribe. Uh, that's because this is where I'm at. Mondays and Thursdays, I host I uh, co-host Video Chronic Pop Culture Quiz with uh, Nerd Chronic. So we have a, a movie coming up on, let's see. Yeah, we have a movie. We have another Christmas movie because we're doing Christmas in July. So we have our very last Christmas movie for Which this part is. of July. Uh, I'm not sure if we're telling yet. I'm not sure because we have a bunch of Christmas movies that we haven't gotten through. We might just do a super game. Uh, we'll see. Um, so that's Thursday nights and Monday nights at uh, 9 p.m. We have, uh, sorry, this is like going a little glitchy. On Tuesdays, I'm here at Cinema Bias uh, with Alex Mack, really filling in the gaps of my cinema knowledge. On Wednesdays, we have, so this is going to be starting up tomorrow at 4 p.m. We are doing uh, another training session for Patreons only. So this is going to be helping me cover uh, going through a bunch of mock games and, you know, getting ready because I'm also part of the movie trivia schmodown thing. People forget that, but I'm part of it. <laughs> People forget that I'm just not one half of a entertaining duo. But no, I'm I'm playing this game and I'm in the singles tournament uh, in a game that's coming up against uh, Mark Yodi Riley. So uh, I'm gonna be training my butt off for that because uh, I am nervous. I'm never gonna take a competitor uh, 
you know, and just say I'm going to definitely beat them. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to be upping my game and number of study sessions we're doing. So starting at 4 p.m. tomorrow, that's for patrons. Uh, it's over Zoom calls. That's super fun. On Fridays, you can find me around 8 p.m. Doing, um, doing video karaoke, which is like the best part of the week. Besides on Sundays when we do uh, In the Dark with Video Drew, which I wasn't able to do this week because I got super sick. Uh, so that was a bummer. But we do have some fun things coming up. We have a couple fun guests that we had to like sideline because of this illness. But uh, it's an all kayfabe show, which is uh, really great because that's the part of trivia that I really like is the kayfabe and not answering the movie questions. It's just <laughs> creating the universe that I do with my co-host, Danny. Um, and I just wanted to give a big shout out and say thank you to my to my mods. That's Danny, Sean, Adelia, and Steve. And uh, yeah, uh, other than that, I think that's that's our guys. Yeah, that's it. Um, we have some good credits to roll us out now. So say goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.